Welcome to the Arms Race, the podcast where we attempt to determine which action star has the highest body count of all. I'm Mike Olson. And I'm Kevin Keane, and today we're covering our third Sylvester Stallone movie, It's Copland, released by Miramax Films on August 15th, 1997, starring Sylvester Stallone, Harvey Keitel, Ray Liotta, Robert De Niro, Peter Berg, Janine Garofalo, Robert Patrick, Michael Rappaport, and Annabella Sciorra, with a whole bunch of other people also. <laughs> Written and directed by James Mangold. It's a lot of wattage. I mean, I remembered this being star-studded. I couldn't believe just for, you know, I don't know when it's, when the last time I watched Copland? It's Ten been, years at least. Yeah, it's been a long time for me. The tiniest roles, like people who don't even appear on screen. <laughs> a guy in a photograph. It's like, that's, that's Paulie Walnuts. He's yes. just in a photograph. Hey, he is a, he's a mob boss, <laughs> even just in a photograph. I really was stunned watching this again. It's just like, I, wow, I, wow, I, wow. I, Every I, single part is a guy I recognize. Yeah. Maybe not every guy I know their name, but just like. You know the, the the deputy guy. It's like I've seen that guy in a ton of stuff. Just like uh, every no, single no Emmerich. Yeah, he's yeah, no uh, uh, the Americans. Oh, is he? Yeah, he's, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, whatever. So I mean, it, it was the same thing for me. I remembered it being a huge cast, but you know, you remember De Niro, you remember Stallone, and you know Ray Liotta. But you're right, and maybe it's just that some of those people weren't that famous because The Sopranos wasn't out yet, so you wouldn't have known Paulie Walnuts necessarily. Although he is in Goodfellas, right. Well, and it's like this This movie was filmed around New York and New Jersey, obviously, and it's just like they just managed to get the best right. acting talent in New York. Yeah. Because, you know, apparently, and I was listening to the commentary, and a lot of them were talking about how, you know, it was really highly regarded as a script. And you can understand why, but it's hard to believe. It's James Mangold's second movie. I never saw his first movie. Heavy, it's heavy. Called? Yeah, and I only I only knew that because I was listening to the commentary myself. So. Okay. I wonder if it's the same commentary. Because did you watch the director's cut or the original cut? The uh, actual cut? I believe mine is the director's cut. It is? Yes. Okay. Yes. Exclusive, according to the packaging. The exclusive director's cut. Okay. So, Although so, if you had it, I'm not sure how exclusive it is. <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm insulted. Um, no, but it, mine is definitely the director's cut. And I went ahead and I rented the theatrical cut after I watched it, just to remind myself what was different. Yeah, I, I don't know the difference, so I'm glad you did. Okay. but So the cut you watched, when does Freddy, played by Stallone, when does he confront Ray? Is it like right before? Is it after he's found Superboy, or is it before? Uh, so Superboy... Remember, your plan is the plan of a boy. That scene. That scene is pretty close to the end. Right, okay. And that's the director's cut. So yeah, you watched the director's cut. Okay. Um, which I think is far superior, because I, I had never seen the director's cut. And uh, it's funny is that I had, you know, I have the director's cut and I saw it in theaters. I, I only saw it in theaters once. Right. But this is the version I remember. Well, and that's the thing is the version that I remember is the theatrical cut. And I don't think I, you know, I never owned it on any medium. I never, gotcha. you know, I, because in my mind, it's like, that's a pretty good movie, but it's pretty flawed. And all of the flaw, not all the flaws, there's still some flaws, but I think this is bordering on a great movie. It's very, very good. And I think, it's because the director's cut fixes so much of the things that I had problems with. If I had known this movie was this good, I would have bought it years ago. It's like I never had seen the director's cut. So what cut. you're saying is the studio shouldn't have messed around with James Mangold's work. Well, the theatrical cut is like an hour and 40-something minutes. Oh, wow. It's like yeah, you know, two hours is too short. and you know, That's around how long the director's cut is, like an hour and 58 or something. Yeah, no. That's even too short. Like there's, This movie is so full of stuff. I'm, I'm surprised it's that short because... Well, it's interesting that you say that it's, you know, that it's borderline great movie. For me, going back, it wasn't as good as I remembered, but it's still very good. Okay. But I clearly don't remember the theatrical cut, because if it, it, I'm not going to say that there isn't anything in the director's cut that maybe you could lose, but there's not a lot in there that I, I would lose. I, I don't think this is one where 
it's like a Michael Mann film where sometimes, man, right. there's a lot dragging here. Don't feel that at all in this movie. I can only think of one scene, but we should probably wait until yeah. we get to the, yeah, the, the that, big picture. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, and just in general, I was just taken aback by how good this movie is. You know, I, I wish, you know, I wish I'd owned it all this time. It's just like, this is really going up on the pantheon well, for me. And what it reminded me of is that, I, you know, when I went back and looked at the filmography, there's a gap where James Mangold was either you know, like doing TV or he just disappeared. Yeah. And well, this movie didn't do that well. It's like, no, it, it was did, not. It did pretty well. I mean, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get to it in, in the history in the box office, but right. I forgot that there's a lot of his stuff that I like. And what reminded me really is, is Logan, which isn't that old. It's about a year old now. Right. He just disappeared. And that's, that's too bad. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, we talked about when we did Schwarzenegger of James Cameron going off and doing all those avatars that it, you feel cheated because you'd like to see more James Cameron movies. I got to admit, I'm disappointed that there's not more from James Mangold out there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, his last two movies were Logan, and then before that was The Wolverine. It's like he's really gotten caught up in these X-Men Wolverine movies. Right. Um, his next movie is called The Force, and I don't know what it's about, but I'm hoping it's another cop drama well, like this one. That, that's what I, I read a little bit on IMDb about it, and it, it didn't feel Copland, but it, it's in, I think, a similar vein. Yeah. Well, so, I, I know nothing except the title. I saw that his next movie is called The Force. It's like, well, either that's a Star Wars tie-in or it's about the cops. <laughs> it is about the police. That's kind of what I figured. And, I, you know, and maybe it'll be different, but I mean, you know, listening to the commentary, it, I felt this way a little bit before, you know, listening to that and having seen it in theaters, but it is a Western. And, you know, you and I both enjoy that genre, and that's probably the reason why we like this, right? That's, that's the thing, though, because I rewatched the theatrical cut to remind myself, and that version does not feel ah. nearly as much like a Western. Okay. They drained all the Western elements out of it. Um, I mean, let's let's move on. We'll talk about uh, what happened on that date, and then we'll get into it. Okay. Because I want to talk about the plot, but, I mean, you know, it's it's not a Western, the original version of it. That's That's, that's the version that well, I was familiar with. Let me correct you at the box office. All right, let's go. What day is it? What year? All right, it is August 1997, as you alluded to. So the budget on this movie was about $10 million. Uh, and obviously with the amount of stars in it, none of them were taking big uh, big salaries to do this movie. They yeah. did it, as you noted, because they wanted to do it, not yeah. because of the budget. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but it had about $45 million in U.S. gross, and back then the domestic was far more important than the foreign. Uh, and the foreign was about $18 million. It's also a movie I'm not sure translates really well to foreign markets. No, yeah. Um, I mean, so, it's a very New York, New Jersey oh, movie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It doesn't even really translate that far outside of, like, the East Coast, really. I mean, uh, I'm sure it did well, but... Yeah, but, to, to, I mean, that, that's that's a pretty good return on investment. And we'll, we can get into a little bit uh, later on about it being Miramax uh, and, and the Weinsteins. Oh, do we have to talk about that? <laughs> I, I think I think it's relevant... A little bit and some things that I'd like to cover. Yeah, okay. All right. I wasn't planning on even bringing that up, but if you feel like this, it's worth talking about. A little bit. I, I actually right. do. So Copland was the number one movie the, the week it opened at just over $13.5 million. Air Force One was number two. Okay. And number they three. They kicked that out of the first spot, just like Harrison Ford kicked that guy no, out of his plane. No, no. Air Force One must have been a couple of weeks in oh, theaters because okay. it was number two uh, the week before. Conspiracy Theory is what got booted out of the number one, and it got booted down to number two, three. You know what's funny? I was thinking about Conspiracy Theory because... Sorry. <laughs> no, but because... I mean, I was kind of thinking about Copland, whether or not it fits into the cult, kind of... Sorry to interrupt, but no, just like fine. the whole late 90s kind of resurgence of these gritty kind of drama yeah, like, yeah. Well, but like in particular like a gritty kind of drama with like labyrinthine like 
plots, these kind of hard-boiled things, like LA Confidential. You know, I don't yeah. know if, uh, if conspiracy theory quite fits that, but it was one I thought about, like, eh, maybe. And, like, Jackie Brown, Usual Suspects. Like, Absolutely. Th- this was a, lot a trend. Of my, a lot of my favorite stuff. That's probably why I like around this period of oh, time. Oh, yeah, for sure. It was this very short-lived kind of three-year, maybe in, two, like, 97 or 98. It was like, all these movies came out. Like, I wrote on Payback, you know, like, stuff like that, Wild Things. It's just, like, a lot of movies came out like this where it's just, like, Gritty, like noiry detective stories, almost. And you just reminded me of another one. Listening to the commentary that the producer of Copland, the movie that we, she was working on before, was things to do in Denver when you're dead. Oh yeah, that that's a good one. Within right there, yeah, so. for sure. Very bad things, just like yeah, all kinds of them. Just yeah. th- this was the time for it. Yeah, it does stuff doesn't really exist. Anymore. The director of very bad and the writer of very bad things is in this movie, Peter Berg. P- Peter Berg. <laughs> what is that from? Uh, it's actually from what was the number one TV show in 1997, Mr. Burns. Oh, wow, okay. They're still hanging on. Seinfeld. I guess that's the... Oh, wait. I thought you said Mr. Burns. No. Oh, Mr. Burns. Alec Burns. I forgot about that guy. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Seinfeld was the number one yeah, show. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it, it I thought was, you said The Simpsons. I was like, that doesn't seem no. like it, that should be right. But no, okay. Seinfeld was number one. And that 97, that was its flat last year, so it was the biggest thing. Right. And, and I, by the way, I, I failed to go over TV on Rhinestone. I'm very disappointed in myself, and I needed to bounce back and make sure that I covered it in this okay. one. Okay. Very disappointed. That's fine. It was a bit of what, mash and cheers, probably, right? Uh, probably. In, <laughs> during Rhinestone. So, a couple of them I was surprised. <laughs> the number three show... In August of 97, Veronica's Closet. Okay. That show is just like a show that it was popular for a year and then just fell out. It was a Kirstie Alley show. I mean, I remember it. Wait, what was number two again? No, number two was ER. That, oh, okay. I didn't cover it, but that wasn't necessarily surprising. Yeah, I'm, sorry, I would, I'm surprised Friends got beat out by Veronica's Closet. Yes, Friends sure. was number four. Yeah. So Veronica's Closet somehow was ahead of Friends. I mean, yeah, I, I remember the show. Uh, now is when Monday Night Football is starting to inch up a little bit. I was surprised when, uh, when we were covering Demolition Man that it wasn't as high as I thought it would be. I feel like I can understand why you're interested in how well Monday Night Football is doing, but I feel like stuff like that shouldn't even be in the ratings. It's just like, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not a... Yeah, yeah, it's not a TV mm-hmm. show. It's on TV. Number six, Touched by an Angel. Okay. <laughs> uh, here's number eight. I, I, I would have had to look this up. I didn't bother. Union Square. have no idea what that is. Me neither. Uh, it was an NBC show. It seems like just anything NBC. Uh, it's following Seinfeld, Friends. It's probably getting a bunch of people to watch. I'm trying to think, because that was the summer between, after we had graduated high school, but before college. So I'm trying to think. Oh, of like, man, what? you just stole one of my things on the history list. Oh. <laughs> our, our personal history? <laughs> yes, our personal history. Who, who, who cares about list? that? I was just trying to think, figure out what kind of TV I would have been watching then. Uh, so rounding out then, number nine, the CBS Sunday movie. That was still a thing in 1997. Oh, sure. Uh, and then 10, it was a tie with Frasier and Home Improvement. Um, so. That's pretty low for both of them. I would have thought. I, they, I mean, though, Frasier, I'm not sure the timing, but Home Improvement, that was definitely getting towards the end of it. That's true. It's and run. Maybe it's early for Frasier. That's what I couldn't remember is if it was early or late for Frasier. Oh, no, that's it's probably th- late because Cheers ended in like 90 or 91 yeah, or so. so it might Frasier be, was pretty much right in the air. Yeah, that. it might be late Frasier, too. So it's just, you know, waning. Okay. Uh, all right, so the S&P 500 was at 927. I know how important that is to you. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to graph it. I the, need to <laughs> that's start putting need. together a graph. We need some charticles. <laughs> uh, the New York Times top seller was, I don't know who this author or book is, Unnatural Exposure by Patricia Cornwell. Don't know. <laughs> nope. Uh, well, I'm going to let you guess, since you're the music guy, I'm going to let you guess the number one song uh, on the top Billboard Top oh, 100. God, it's going to be like, what was the Ricky Martin song? <laughs> 
something Levita like Loca? Yeah, La Vida Loca. Is that, that seems like that was sooner than 97. I don't know. That seems like around it's then. It's a Puff Daddy song. Oh, boy. Is it Mo Money, Mo Problems? Uh, I'll Be Missing You. Oh, God. I forgot about that song. Biggie was, not, Biggie was gone. That's right. Uh, so I didn't have much, but uh, I got August 13th, South Park airs its first episode. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, I remember I, freshman year of college, it was sweeping the dorm. Yep. And speaking of which, I had this in there. You stole my thunder. College was beginning for those of us here at the arms race. <laughs> it was really thin, the stuff I was finding in August of 97. So. I mean, something must have been happening in the world. Uh, was the Monica Lewinsky stuff not happening no, yet? No, so the very, very end, August 31st, Princess Diana dies. Oh, yeah. So that was a huge... I mean, I do remember that. I can't even imagine in the social media world coverage today what that would have been like because that was everywhere it seemed like forever yeah in i guess what would have been september then of 97 yeah so yeah that that it was a little bit short on history that i could find that i thought was relevant and interesting well it's so. like it's like i've said in the past it's like news and culture from before 9-11 always seems adorable in hindsight because it's just like <laughs> oh the things that we were worried about yeah all right you ready to move on yeah time for the plot you want to talk we'll talk i'm a sucker for good conversation we kind of talked a little bit about uh, the plot, but I mean, do you want to? I, I don't even know how we're going to summarize this because there's so much going on. But let's try to summarize the plot of this movie. Well, I think in a lot of ways it's good to open with that it is a very much a, a modern western. It don't, the western element really only comes out near the end. You know, once Freddy, you know, Stallone's character decides to do the right thing, that's when it starts to become a western. But I mean, the first half to two thirds, it's it's a cop drama. It's kind of there's a lot of characters and like, you know, kind of learning the the ins and outs of this town and the history of the town and all that. Yeah, I think well, that's I, that's the focus for a good chunk of it. It is, but I guess in some ways I view that as kind of western-ish. That they've gone and said it, you know, they've fled and run away from something, meaning uh, Ray and and his guys, right, to go establish this new settlement where law and order is there. Everybody's packing. To me, in a lot of ways. Garrison is very much like a frontier town. Yeah, I mean, there's no question about it. There, that's an element to the movie, but uh, you know, I think it, it comes out more as the movie goes on. But uh, anyway, just just plot summary. What's the what's the simplest way to summarize this? There's uh, a town in New Jersey that a lot of cops use a loophole <laughs> in the rules to live there instead of having to live in New York City. Yes, and there's a rundown, sad sack of a sheriff. Yeah, played by Stallone. Played yes, which man, I do remember a big deal being made about his physique yeah that when I'm, this movie came out that's definitely something worth talking about because you know i have very strong memories of that being all over like the the kind of movie press and hollywood press just like look at all of the weight that stallone put on and oh what a change it almost i think takes away from or took away back then it from did. his performance oh i see I, I don't know the performance it definitely did i felt like it was a distraction from the movie yeah well that's kind of, that's what i mean is that people were talking about that rather than talking about what a great performance he's giving yeah oh yeah. and everybody's giving yeah yes. no, i'm sorry i don't i don't mean to imply that his it, it, weight made his performance less good i'm sorry i got you okay that, in that's the media, what I, I heard it yeah yeah sorry i, I misspoke but the, like the coverage was unfair yeah the coverage it was all about like fat tubby stallone and it's just like who cares about that i mean it, it it's the kind of thing where the De Niro had done in the past, and it, it was, was just the kind of thing where it's like, oh, that's the thing that De Niro does. Like, yeah. He was revered, I think, for it. Where I, it, I, I guess it's maybe not for the plot, but to me, it's that you know this kind of broken down, never was, desperately wants to be real police right. to steal from the wire, and this is he gets an opportunity well, because of an event that happens on the George Washington Bridge. 
Right. One of one of the cops who lives in Garrison, Superboy. Yes. Um, played by uh, Michael Rappaport. Yeah. Who I was thinking about this. You know, there's so many great performances in this movie. I think the one flaw is Michael Rappaport. I don't think he's a bad actor, but it's just like he does not hang with he, these guys. I was going to say, if you're even Peter Berg, if, if you're to pick who doesn't belong here, it's Michael Rappaport. I think Peter Berg's okay. As yeah, no, he's, he's okay. But that's what I'm saying is that it, it's to me, it's between the two of them. Of right. who is you know the weakest link, but it, it again Michael Rappaport's fine, but he he manages to get by. Like, yes. It's not the word, but it's just like the good news is is that he's not a he's a he's a plot focal point, but he's not a t- screen time focal point. Yeah, I mean he gets more he gets more focus in the director's cut than he did in the theatrical because in the theatrical cut he never speaks in that whole end sequence when like they're trying really? to get him across the bridge. He never even speaks. He's just, he is just a MacGuffin. He's, he's like literally a football that <laughs> Freddie's trying to run across the goal line of you know, the bridge. Wow. He never says anything, at least in the director's cut, he gets to have some like opinions about like, you don't even know what you're doing. Like, yeah. That's at least I, I was glad to see that because I mean, literally he has zero dialogue. Oh, I Freddy just goes I up there and says, "Come on!" And then he's just like he's silent the whole mo- the whole ending of the movie. Wow. Anyway, but yeah, he there's an incident on the bridge, and in order to cover it up, Ray, uh, what's I always want to say Breslin, but it's Ray not, Donlin, Donlin, yeah, Ray Breslin, played by in, Harvey Keitel, yeah, played by Harvey Keitel, and he's kind of the the boss of this this group of crooked cops, and uh, in the course of trying to cover up their their uh, bad dealings. It just kind of spins out of control. And, yeah, because uh, they're they're afraid that um, uh, with the publicity that Superboy will wind up having to testify because he'll probably go to jail, right, for what he's done, which is um, have a altercation with two black guys. Yeah, uh, that didn't have a didn't have a gun, and that the fear is is that he he'll have to turn state's evidence to basically save himself. Yeah, the way that's handled is. Interesting, and I don't know if we should talk about it now or wait till we get into details. Yeah, like, I think details is like, kind of where I got okay. covered. So, but yeah, so anyway, like as Ray is scrambling to cover his tracks, it kind of causes uh, Robert De Niro's character, Mo Tilden. Mo Tilden, I, yes. The last names I'm not strong on, but I remember the first names. Mo Tilden. To come sniffing around, and then, and then over the course of this, Stallone's character, Freddy, kind of comes to understand what he's like the depths of what he's involved in and yeah, kind of who decides to do the right thing he's and, buddies with and kind of has been covering for and that's the thing that's the biggest difference in the theatrical cut is they cut out any indication that freddie is complicit in any way oh see that and then a lot is lost then yeah because here's the thing and this was my memory and i distinctly remember this from you know, my memory of the theatrical cut is in that cut freddie is just a dummy He's just a dumb dumb who doesn't see what's going on around him, and then at the end of the movie, he's, he's the hero. He decides, but he's not. It's not even necessarily in the theatrical cut the way they the way they cut out all of the indication that he's complicit with Ray and all his, his crew and covering for them. I mean, very frequently we see him covering for them. Yeah, you know, and I think it's because he doesn't really fully understand the degree that, in which they're tied into the mob and all that, and that kind of comes out over the course of the movie, which causes him to kind of have a change of yeah, heart. Yeah, I mean, he, I think he buys Ray Donlin's. Uh, Ray is definitely the Brotherhood, you know, character, sure. and Freddie buys into that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, because he wants to be a cop so bad, and he right. he admires these guys more or less. But in the theatrical cut, it's just like he doesn't know any of this is going on and then he learns that it's going on and he's going to uphold the law. It's like in the theatrical cut, it's not a moral decision. It's just like, 
hey, it's an awakening. Yeah, he just stopped being a dummy. That was my biggest problem in my memory of this movie. It was just like, yeah, Stallone's giving a great performance, but his character is so dumb. And he's not. It was totally the way they edited it. Like, in this movie, you, in the director's cut, you completely understand. Oh, yeah. He knows most of what's going on. He just doesn't quite know about the he mob did, ties. The depth of it. He, he, he realized, he understands that they're not completely above board and perfect right. police officers, but they're okay guys from what he can see. Right, exactly. And I think that's so much better because it's a moral decision. He's deciding to stand up and do the right thing at the end, as opposed to the theatrical cut where he's just like, oh, I guess these guys are dirty. I guess I better stop it. You know, right. like that's the way it comes off. And I just, man, I just remember not liking that at all. So that's that's what I meant at the beginning where it's just like, the director cut fixes so many of the problems. It's that funny that you're saying memory. that because I like this movie coming out of theaters and what you're describing <laughs> I'm surprised that I liked it. Yeah. Well, it's like you don't know what you're missing until you see the director's cut. And it's like, oh, this is so much better. Yeah. I just you know, that's, that's how I feel. Yeah. Well, I, I, I guess I'm just surprised because coming out of watching this for this episode, you know, I don't I in my memory, I don't like it as much as I remembered it. But then going back, if, if it is the way you said from theaters, I don't know how I ever got to the place where I thought <laughs> it was really that great in the first place. Yeah. Well, it's the kind of thing like obviously it's been over 20 years since this came out and it's like I'm sure when I saw this the first time I bet I even saw it in theaters I know I did um, I'm, I think I did also I'm sure at that age you know what would we have been you know, 18 18 yep. yeah and I guess we were out of high school so like yeah at 18 I, I'm sure I didn't understand a lot of the kind of complexities of just like I mean it's one of those things where I'm sure when I watched it then I didn't really understand the whole idea of like the mob banks and getting low interest loans from a mob bank and all that. It's like, I didn't, I didn't know anything about mortgages when I was 18, you know? So like, I think a lot of, I only knew that everybody had three mortgages in the <laughs> Ghostbusters <laughs> days. Right. Well, um, my reaction now in, uh, this, this is my like technology section, but it's like, I'll, I'll just talk about it now. Like my reaction now watching it is just like, they did all this just to get low interest loans. Like <laughs> nowadays, every loan is a low interest loan. <laughs> That's true. You know, like with the Fed been in near near or at zero for like ten years. It's like uh, for basically a decade. Yes, I, I I can't imagine that. Like the mob would have to offer a lot more now. It's like I could go oh, over yeah. to the corner bank and get the same. You know, I can get enough for a loan I can for apply online a quick and loan. You yeah, got to exactly. give me something a better kicker. But yeah, I think I think I I, I definitely remember watching this as a teenager and going like I don't understand a lot of the stuff about jurisdictions and all. The, there's a lot of details about those sorts of things that I didn't care about back then. It's like, now I feel like as an adult, I can watch this and I can, I can appreciate, you know, the fact that there are all these kind of facts, like even within the group of cops, you know, you've got Ray and then you've got, uh, uh, um, Oh boy, I'm forgetting names now. Just give me the actor. And I'll Robert Patrick. What was his name? Oh, Jack. I Jack, Jack yeah. Duffy. Yeah. So like this was totally lost to me. I'm sure the first time, but like the fact that Jackie is kind of his number two and Ray Liotta's character, Gary is, Figsy. Figsy, yes. That's the name I remember in my brain. Figsy. Uh, used to be. It's clear he used to be. And oh, you yeah. can see why that's there's the tension there. And Absolutely. it's like there's all kinds of interpersonal conflicts going on. And, you know, with uh, Joey and, and like there's the whole affair going on. It's like there's so much going on in this movie and it is so dense that I half of it went over my head when I was a teenager. And it's yeah, like, I probably it's, it's, the same I thing. can really appreciate how well constructed all that is now as an adult watching it. I'm going like, yeah, this is a really, really well-scripted, well-put-together world that James Mangold created. It really feels like a real place yeah. and a real, you know, you can really see how everything fits together. And you can understand why, when reading the script, all these actors wanted to be a part of this. Yeah, for sure. Totally see it. Well, so. even, even going down to, like, you know, at a glance, it seems like there's way too many characters. 
you look at this and you're like, why, why are there so many characters? You can combine some of these. But actually, I think it really benefits the movie that, you know, I mean, this conspiracy is spilling over the edges of this movie. There's characters, like we said, that just appear in photographs. <laughs> characters only mentioned that are just kind of like, you can sense all the tendrils, all the stuff going out in all directions. Yeah. And that, I, I love that about this movie. The fact that it's just like, you can tell that there's so much going on outside of the boundaries of the story we're seeing. You know, and it's really, really well done. Like, yeah. it's, it's really impressive. Well, you skipped ahead to technology, but I think uh, I think we've covered the plot. So now it's time to get to uh, get to the technology and how it would change the outcome okay. or could change the Let's outcome. Let's do it. It's already up in the cloud. What cloud? What cloud? I actually had a few for this one, so I'm hoping uh, I'm hoping you've got some as well. I got a few, probably not as many as you. It sounds like so. Why don't you go ahead? Uh, so the first one that I, I immediately thought of is actually on the George Washington Bridge, and I looked to see. There are webcams and camera surveillance cameras on the George Washington oh, Bridge. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, a lot, a lot of this would, would have changed with surveillance. Well, that's similar to a note that I have uh, in terms of, like, everyone has a camera in their pocket now. So I feel like t- today, if this happened, that EMT who uh, is kind of... Because, you know, the EMTs show up and they see yeah. the, the cops planting evidence. Well, yeah, and, and I, that's, I, I went even just more so than just phones phones with cameras. The same thing, the police on the scene in many jurisdictions now have body cameras. So a, a lot of this would have been different. Yeah, do we know? I don't know if Manhattan cops have body cameras or not. Uh, and the New York, I'm going to, I don't know. I didn't look it up and I should have, but a number in the Chicago PD do, and I bet a number in New York do as well. A number? Is there like a specific? Like- well, I think that the the challenge is is the expense, and it's been rolling out over the last couple of years since a number of the inc- incidents throughout the United States. But even more so than necessarily the the hardware for the camera, it's the storage and the expense of what to do with the video is, yeah. is more of the problem that I think jurisdictions are trying to figure out. Now, a place as big as New York with its budget, not an issue. But when you get to some of the smaller, like Garrison, New Jersey. What do you do? You might not have the budget, and it's not for the cameras. It's for who handles the Freedom of Information Act requests for video footage yeah. and reviewing what needs to be redacted, what can't be redacted is where I think that the things are being held up. Anyway, no, so interesting. just surveillance and all, but I did look up the George Washington Bridge absolutely has cameras. Do you think it covers the entire bridge? Because they're in a lower level. They are know. only because I think that's all they could get the rights to actually oh, film yeah. on. They can only shut down one portion of it. Sure. But I didn't, I didn't get to that level of detail. So you may have me there that the lower level doesn't have the same coverage. I'm not sure. Well, I'm not trying to play gotcha. I'm just curious if like, you know, I would be interested to know like how well covered something like the yeah. George Washington bridge would be more so than for an incident like this. Right. I mean, it's, it's terrorism. Ultimately, that's the reason why the surveillance is yeah, there. That's and true. I'm sure the George Washington bridge is probably a, a, a target. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't doubt it. So. Yeah. So I kind of on that same vein. Um, I mean, I was I was talking about like phones and things, yeah. like not so much like police surveillance cameras, but you know, just the fact that there are cameras everywhere. And I also, if something like that happened today on the George Washington Bridge, like the media environment, the way it is now, it's like that's a national story instantly. Instantly. Yeah. I mean, t- t- to your point of phones, the EMT probably would have been immediately tweeting stuff. Yeah, for sure. So. Yeah, I mean that guy is adamant, and he's right. It's just yeah. like there's there's something stinks about this. I'm kind of sad that character didn't come back. I d- I couldn't remember if he was a character in the story or not, and he he is, and he just kind of like drops off. He does, and there's there's a a bigger point there that I again this this movie, especially the director's cut, as you noted, is 
already dense and a lot going on, but there's a layer to that that 20 years later, a lot hasn't changed. And I wish that would have been a bigger focal point. Telling this kind of a story in two hours is already so tough. Like, yeah. if you really, told, I mean, it would be like a TV series. It'd be like The Wire if you really wanted to do it properly and show all the angles. So, I mean, yeah. I, I, you can't blame them for deciding which parts to leave in, which parts to leave out. Yeah. So this this leaps forward a little bit um, and gets to your your comment on having so much technology in your pocket and a phone. So Figsy would have easily been able to know if there was somebody inside his house today because he would have had some sort of home monitoring. That I mean, if, if you can know when UPS is delivering stuff to your house, he absolutely would have known if somebody was inside his house today. Uh, I mean, you have to want to install something like that, though, right? Like, yeah, can, but I, I think he probably would have wanted and probably would have had it in that house. You think house. so? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that, just because the, that okay. guy, is he doesn't have it together. Like, he's a cokehead, and he's, you know... He's not. He's not going to be thinking that far ahead. I think. Okay. Well, his girlfriend Monica was came by the house looking for him today. She just would have sent him a text message. That's true. Where are you at? So I mean, that's a what, very valid. What point. the point is is that one way or another today, she most likely wouldn't have been in that house without him knowing. But she also wouldn't have been gone watching pay per view. That was a funny thing. It's like she was watching pay per view. <laughs> you got me there. It's like must not have been a very interesting pay per view. Whatever it was. <laughs> So what else do you have? There's actually a lot in this. I was surprised. I'm sorry. The, the only thing I had was about interest rates, and we already kind of touched on that. So that okay. was my thing. Like today, it would be like they, the mob has to offer more. I feel like. Well, I have one that isn't isn't. It's more of uh, Figsy's philosophy, which you're going to have to please explain to me Figsy's philosophy about diagonal rule. Oh yes, there's so many things I don't understand what he's talking about. Maybe I'm just slow. I don't know. But so I he, have a sense of it, but I mean, I don't think he's supposed to be like all that coherent. Like, okay, you know. It's the drugs talking? Yeah, I think partially. So he asks, how do you ensure the green lights? Today, that absolutely happens. Yeah, that's true. Because the technology is there for it to be recognized by flashing lights up in the sensor to change the lights green. That's a good point, but I'll bet in Manhattan, with so much traffic, you still got to zigzag. He's probably still right there, but... He makes it sound like, how do you do it anywhere well, and cause, ever? Well, because uh, Freddie says, what happens if you hit a red light? He goes, you go through the red lights. He's, they're still going through the lights, whether it's red or green, like they the, are, whether but, the thing actually says red or green. But it's harder. It is much harder. That's why they've changed it. That the, the Sure. Yeah. They, they have technology that can kind of herd the traffic yeah. to get, them, get traffic out of their exactly. way. Yeah, that's, so. that's true. Okay. We're done with technology? Yes. All right, let's get into little details. That cardboard headstone tipped over. The, this graveyard is obviously phony. I need to put that to music. I've been, just, I've been lazy you say it. that every time, and it doesn't matter. It makes me laugh just like that. <laughs> it's, it's from a movie that has nothing to do with Stallone or Schwarzenegger. It's just like, yeah. It I, doesn't matter. I, I, only, I only picked it because I knew you would laugh. It's, it's like, so great Hopefully the listeners enjoy it as much as you do. So the little details. I've, I've certainly got a lot here. I'm sure you do, too. Yeah, I mean, the, again, this is a very dense movie. So, I mean, first things first, I want to talk about the one thing that uh, I was seeing in the, the deleted scenes that the director's cut did not restore was kind of the, the racial politics of this movie. I mean, it's obviously there. Under, the undercurrent is there from the yeah. beginning. And it, so that, that's actually what I was talking about with the EMT and being explored a little more than my disappointment. But Because uh, 20 years later, things aren't any different, really. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Is I, it's like, I, it's a little disappointing that, because it, it's, it's very much the undercurrent, but I think in the same way that the theatrical cut lets Freddy off the hook for his complicity in Ray's scheme... I think even the director's cut is kind of chickening out when it comes to the kind of racial dynamic of it because there were deleted scenes that they did not restore that really showed. I mean, there's that one scene that's kind of, that's all that's left of the subplot is that couple shows up and they're like, we're just here to get a view and you're yep. harassing us. I mean, that's still in the movie. So it's still there and you can still get a sense of just like, they're probably 
not the most like you know and also uh robert patrick's character talks about like it's the visiting element that's the problem in this town well, it's a, but it's like that was a whole subplot that really showed that like you know Freddie's hands were not clean of yeah. of that aspect of it, and it's like, you know, if you want to sh- show the change and really be honest about what this, you know, police force in a small town in New Jersey that's entirely white, you know, there's only three of them, so it's like it could be excused. But it's like I, I think I was kind of disappointed once I re- once I learned that that was cut. It's just like that probably should be in the movie. Well, yeah, especially because on the bridge they establish it too. I mean, you've got the EMT who's not white, right. who clearly is there to represent that he understands what's going on and is not okay with it. Well, there's also one uh, black cop. It, yes. It, it's, it's that he's he's part of the crew but they He doesn't live in Garrison though. Right. No, that's he, the thing. And when when Internal Affairs has them right. questioning about what happened on the bridge, they try and play that angle. Oh yeah, for sure. I yeah. mean, yeah, it's still there. It's the, that's the thing is that you're right that it didn't it didn't push it far enough, and that is a disappointment. And it, and I, I guess the reason why I wanted to tie back look, this is a, a Weinstein, you know, Miramax when they were still in charge of Miramax. Although I think at this point, I don't know if Disney owned it or not yet. I, I didn't look up when Disney bought Miramax, but I would guess no. I think it seems early for that. But yeah, I'm not sure. Well, I guess what the point is is that you know you've got this movie. And it pushes it a little bit, but it doesn't push it enough. And then it's just, it, it was more of kind of stark when I look at it. It's like, wow, a lot really hasn't changed all that much right. in 20 years. Well, that's why, that's why I'm disappointed that it's not more part, because if this is supposed to be a, like a stark look at police corruption and that yeah. sort of thing, it's like you can't leave that out and pretend like that's not an aspect of it. Like, I, sh- I shouldn't say leave it out. They don't leave it out. It's there, but it's like... I would have liked it to have been more central to the story. Because in the end, what's the story about? It's about Ray making a deal with the mob and getting good. They get all got nice houses, and in exchange, the mob gets to, you know, blah, blah, blah. The fact that, I mean, it's, it's just a coincidence that Superboy happens to kill these two black motorists. It's just Well, like, yeah, well, that's the thing is it's a coincidence, but uh, that's the reason why I think it should have been pushed further. Right. Oh, I, I agree. Well, and also, like, that whole scenario that starts the movie is very much designed to make sure you understand that Superboy didn't do it out of malice. You know, I mean, you kind of need that character to be a relatively sympathetic, like, sympathetic character so yeah. that you're rooting for them at the end to make it. So I get that, but it's the way the movie contorts itself into a pretzel. Like, I mean, I, I have notes here. Let me find my notes. It's just like the way that they... like. It's it's like this weird clockwork scenario where it's like all these different things happen just to set up his like innocence is the wrong word because he's obviously still shooting at a car. It's right. like you know he overreacts. There's no question. He thinks he's being shot at, but whatever. However you want to describe it, they, it you're right that they do do the movie seems to do gymnastics. Yeah, to we, make it seem like despite the fact that there's probably racial prejudice there, they don't make they try to make. Superboy not seem racist. Well, and that's I think the movie is trying to make it clear that he's not racist because the whole it goes out of its way. The reason why he's called Superboy is because he saved like somewhere between three and six black children. Like no one can agree on the number. Yeah, but, see, but like, to me that even if that's the case, that doesn't that no, it doesn't mean, prove anything. But no, I think the movie is saying like this guy is not he didn't kill these guys because he's racist. Yeah, but see, to me the thing is that it seems like that that's all an excuse, and probably subconsciously he probably does. No, oh, I agree. No, this movie is is better if if that's a part of his motivation. Yeah, but you're right that I do feel like it goes out of its way, and it's probably for the sympathy factor. Yeah, well, here, here's I've got my I found my notes here. So here's like it's it's so neat. It's so 
it feels like a writer setting up the pieces because okay, Superboy when he leaves the strip club at the at the bachelor party scores. By the way, yes, very. scores. Is there scores now in Chicago? I believe there is. I don't know if there is, but it, it, I think that's the famous one in New York. No, like it Patrick is. Ewing and everybody was. I did like that on the sign. All it says is fine dining. It's like that, <laughs> that's what you're selling. That's how I you're selling. I didn't notice that. I didn't write it down, but you're right. I didn't notice that. That's how you're selling scores. Yeah. Fine it's not dining. A gen- it's not a gentleman's club. It's fine dining. Right. That's I'm. <laughs> Put on your tie and your tails exactly. to go to scores. But, um, okay, so here's here's my notes. Superboy hears Jackie puking, causes it, causing him to draw his gun. Yep. Right? Because he thinks something's wrong. It turns out it's just Jackie puking. Then Superboy drives away, leaving the gun in the passenger seat. I don't know where he got it from, but I think the movie is making clear, like, part of the reason why this happened because he had his gun drawn already. Yes, too, too readily available. Yes. Superboy drives off, running over a bottle on the curb, like, very carefully placed. Like, yes. Close up of this bottle. You know, it's okay. Then the, he's driving across the bridge. A car sideswipes him. He flashes his badge, demands they pull over. Guy points a steering wheel lock at him, like it's a gun. And uh, this is and this is one of my questions later, but it's worth bringing up now because they find crack in the car, and I wasn't clear if that was supposedly also planted, like the gun was, or whether that was real. Like, I wasn't really sure. Well, I mean, I, I didn't take. I talked that they. There was probably either alcohol or drugs. I mean, they, because they're just driving. I mean, they may be having a good time. Oh, yeah. Not with malice, but I mean, they're all over the place when they sideswipe him. So I. It seemed like the movie was indicating that these guys were high on crack, but they're high on something. Yeah. Well, they find crack, but it's not clear whether there was, you know, whether uh, Robert Patrick planted it or not. Right. Didn't seem like he did. Because it was before they tried to plant the gun. Anyway. So, yeah. Car sideswipes him. Superboy flashes his badge, tells him to pull over. Guy points the steering lock at him. Then, as soon as the guy points the thing at him, his tire blows, making him think that he heard a gunshot. Yeah. You know, it's just like, It's man, trying to make it just, his actions justifiable. It's like a Swiss watch. It's like, it, you couldn't design, like, this would never, this series of events could never happen. No. The odds are one in a trillion. I, yeah. I agree. And I understand wanting the sympathy at the end, but I think it's a more realistic portrayal if... More right. of what Superboy probably has, which is probably some existing prejudice. The, the rest of them, I know well, he's I, younger than the rest of them, so he hasn't been on the job as much. But, it's, but I, re- I really don't think this movie is saying that he has, I, has any prejudice. I think the movie is letting that character off the hook yeah, in so a way that I, doesn't let other characters off the hook. I, just, I find that if he is working in that environment, I find that difficult to believe. It's not impossible, but I find it difficult to believe. No, I, mean, I think that's the way it should have been written. Yeah, and th- that's where I, I, th- I think a weakness is. So. Well, and, I, and I think that would have made the ending even more interesting, where Stallone's character is you know, saying, no, you're despicable, but I'm going to get you to the... Right, you know, I'm going to gonna still do the right thing. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. law and order... And, and, Mo Tilden has taught me that law and order is the right way. <laughs> yeah, while well, being dismissive of eating a sandwich. <laughs> I want to talk about that scene, but we can, uh, we can talk about it later. All right, right. So, I'll, okay. so you're the music guy. I, just, I, this is, I hate this. I got a lot of these that are questions on here, but was there any more perfect music than Bruce Springsteen? I loved the music choice of the two Bruce Springsteen songs, oh, and I don't even like Bruce Springsteen. It's like... This movie made me want to get into Bruce Springsteen. I'm not the mu- I'm not the music fan, but I'm it was perfect. Yeah, I agree. Both uh, I learned uh, both songs are from an album called The River, which is like so perfect thematically. Yeah. The fact that Freddie maybe that's the reason it was chosen too. Yeah, well, it's, it's a part of the plot we never really touched on, but Freddie saved uh, a girl f- from the town Liz when yes. he was a teenager. And lost hearing in one ear. And she married Officer Randoni. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's actually Randone. I know. Method Man. Method Man has his own pronunciation. <laughs> so while we're talking about Method Man, 
was he sent by them? This isn't one of my questions, but actually, it was something that was in the back oh, of my no. mind. Like, no, I think that was. I think it was totally circumstantial. You think so? Yeah. But Ray not saving Randall. Oh, absolutely. He, I mean, he took advantage of the hand that was dealt. Okay. But no, be, because they they say when they're in the bar, hey, where are you going? You know, and he's like, I, I'm on. You know, I'm on a shift. And they're like, we all are. We still got an hour. Right. So I don't think there's any way that they could have set that up. They didn't have enough time to plan no, that. Yeah. No, that's but probably true. Ray took complete advantage of it when he had the opportunity. But I feel like Freddie assumes that that was deliberate. I think Freddie says at one point, like, Ray had uh, Joey killed yeah, because he might talk or whatever it is. But Freddie wouldn't have known the circumstances. I just think he's jumped to that conclusion. And it's not that I don't think Ray wouldn't have down the road done it. He just didn't have enough time to have actually done it. Freddie just jumped to the conclusion, and he was wrong. But I think in the end, if Ray had enough time, he probably would have done it. Well, that's another thing uh, that I think this movie would have benefited from being longer is... This movie needed another half hour because Ray and Joey, their relationship, other than the fact that they're sleeping with the same woman, like <laughs> there's this affair plot going on, but they only speak one line of dialogue to each other each, the entire movie. I didn't notice and that. After the after Ray tries to kill Superboy, it's like they never speak at all until that scene at the pool. Superboy manages to escape. Joey shows up. He says, what's going on? You said he was going to get into the life. And Ray's just like, you thought I was all that or whatever. And then they go chasing after him. It's the only time these two characters ever speak to each other. Yeah. And Joey's death is like the linchpin of this whole story because it's kind of what, what causes... Freddy to finally wake up. Yeah. So it's just like, man, we, we really needed to see a lot more of this town and all these characters and the way they interact before they were all in crisis mode. Yeah. Because this is the first time we see Ray, Harvey Keitel's character. The first time you see him, he's in crisis mode on the bridge trying to fix a problem. It's like... I would have liked to have seen 15 minutes or so before all that. I'm just like, what is the town like? What are these characters' relationships? You know, yeah, you have to kind just, of learn all you, of it. I think, it, yeah, I think it's difficult when you have that many characters to balance that. I think that's what it came down to. So as you said, just more more time probably yeah, would have I, cured that. I think this movie needed another half hour for sure. It's, I mean, that's just one of those things I think it would have been clearer. If, you, if we understood Ray... Yeah, we understand Ray and Rose's relationship. They're married, and yep. then Rose is sleeping with Joey, and we understand all that, but it's like... What kind of relationship does Ray have with Joey? I don't know. You know, would he want to have Joey killed? Yes or no? We don't know. It. You don't have enough time, and and maybe just the affair is enough to push him. But yeah. I, I don't know. It seems like Ray is kind of a controlled guy, and that I'm not. I don't get the vibe that that would have been enough for Ray to want to have Joey killed. I'm not sure why, but I, I just. See, I, th- I think they he probably would want to have them killed. By the way, sorry, I, I misspoke. I, it's not that they only had one line of dialogue the whole movie, but I'm saying prior to that scene where they're arguing about... Oh, I got you. When, when I got to that point in the movie, it's like these characters have never spoken to each other. I, it's like now they're just shouting about... It's like I don't, I don't have any baseline for what, this, what, what they, their relationship is. Right. If, is this how they always are or is this unique? Yeah. See, I kind of I lean towards he probably did hire Method Man to have Joey <laughs> killed, but it's like, you're right. The time is not enough time. No. Uh, I'll let you go next, because I, I came up with the boss. Okay, well, I mean, I want to talk about the ending for sure, and, like, I really love the confrontation between Freddy and uh, Ray, where he's saying, I've got Superboy, I'm giving you a chance to... Yeah, I'm going to bring him in. It's, I don't know if he needed to give them the time, but I, that's the very Western <laughs> element to it. I mean, well, very much so. Yeah, all that's missing in the theatrical cut is just like... Oh, that's crazy. I mean, in the theatrical cut, here's the sequence of events. It's... He goes to Rose, says, I need to find Superboy. She tells him where he is. He goes up to the, the, water tower. the water tower. He just says, let's go. There's none of that stuff about, like, are you with the feds or with... All oh, that's cut. He gets up there. He says, let's go. 
Cut to the the sheriff's office, and I think it's just like right away, it's him going to the police car, going to take him into the city. It's like the scene with him going to talking to Ray is totally gone. They moved it up earlier and cut a bunch of stuff to make it fit. I'm pretty. Oh no! There's, it, it goes from the water tower to the scene with his deputy, Bill. Bill saying, "I can't help, or whatever." Yeah, and then right outside to him. The next morning, yeah, yeah, losing him. All the stuff, like the waiting and like him, there's a shot of him walking down to the bar and he's just walking down the middle of the road. It's like, yeah, it's so Western. Very, very much so. And it's like kind of badass as like meek as this character is. It's like you can kind of understand why they would cast Stallone because it's just like he's kind of still sheepish. He's still Freddy, but it's just like this guy's on a mission. He's 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 marching into this bar and telling him, I'm I'm, I'm going to take like six of you. I don't care. I'm doing this. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously, it, in the end, it kind of was a stupid thing to do. It was incredibly stupid, especially the time. That was my biggest beef. Don't tell him the time. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> he was daring him, basically. Yeah, just like, I, I, going for the Western, it's like, I'm going to have a showdown with you at high noon, right? Right. I mean, I, I understand it for the thematic element, but from the practical, it's like, don't tell him when you're leaving. Yeah, um, but I, I just, I think that whole scene, you know, like, I see the cards and your plan is the plan of a boy and all that, like, Harvey Keitel... It's so well written and so well performed by both of them. Um, I think the one thing, if I had a criticism of this movie's direction, and I think this is something that James Mangold has stopped doing as he's gone on. Like I don't think he really does this much in Logan, but like he loves pushing in on actors' faces in like dramatic moments. You know, because okay. he goes, "Who do you think you are?" and push in. And like what really kind of annoys me is the silence where you, the actor's waiting for the camera to finish its move oh, as it pushes you. in. And then, he, but it's, it's a cool moment where he goes, "I'm the sheriff of uh, Garrison, New Jersey." It's like that should be an awesome moment, and I feel like it's taken away a little it's bit. It's a little too formal, and it's like. Stallone's yeah. waiting for the camera to stop before he fin- he says his line. It's well, like, maybe Freddie just had to really process. Well, wait a minute, what what town am I? At? Yeah, I mean he makes it work. It's just I, if it didn't happen so often, there's like twelve to fifteen times where this movie does that, and it's just like you know, save it for when it's important. That's so fair. That's that's my only complaint about James Mangold's direction. You know, he became a great director later. I think here he's a pretty good director, but nothing special. He's just like hey, he's fine. He wrote the script, so you got to give him definitely credit for that, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. The script is incredible. Uh, all right, so I've got a few, uh, another detail. Uh, this is skipping ahead a little bit, but man, if I were Ray, I would just be berating Jack and, um, oh, Arthur, God, what was Frank? Yeah, Frankie. Frankie. Because when you get to the end when they're supposed to be drowning Superboy, he, he, Superboy, there's two guns just hanging in the bathroom. The only people that are left at that party are Ray, right. Frank, Jack, oh, Superboy. They're not going to do that until everyone's gone. Like, they've right. scoured the house. Don't, don't make sure everybody's gone before we try but to well, kill this guy. my point is, then that, those have to be Jack and or Frank's guns that are hanging there. Oh, yeah, I think that's the implication. So that's so, what my point is. If I'm Ray, I'm furious <laughs> with them. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the movie's trying to... Set it up so that uh, so that he could escape. I know I mean, that, but I'm just, what I'm saying is that I would be furious if I were Ray. Well, I mean, that's the thing about this movie. I think as an adult, like I kind of was saying, I see it kind of very differently as an adult versus as a teenager. As a teenager, I watched this and be like, oh, these these are grown men and like complicated stuff. I watch this now, it's like, what a bunch of idiots. Like, no <laughs> side of it has a good, like, they're all scrambling so much. You know, like, from the beginning, Ray's plan of just like somehow sneak Superboy off and just like, oh, he jumped. It's like, that's not a good plan. 
What kind of plan is that? In his defense, though, I mean, he has almost no time to react. Oh, yeah, he did it on the spot. I'm just yeah. saying, like, I realize now watching it, I'm just like, everybody's scrambling. Nobody knows what they're doing. They're just they're just kind of reacting on the spot all the time. I'll be- I think this is a case of just, like, he didn't know. Like, what? Uh, Frankie was like, I got to drive so-and-so home. And <laughs> she's like, come on back. Get back here. It's like they didn't. All of this is so haphazardly put together. You know, well, they just forgot their guns. Oh, oh <laughs> damn. We, our guns are in the, in the bathroom. <laughs> All right, well, I, I just I wanted to make the note that that was a detail. I'd be furious if I were Ray, because yeah. it's their fault that Superboy gets away. Well, they're dumb for letting him get away, but he's also dumb for going out there you know, and not just leaving when he sees the note from his aunt saying that's, they're trying to kill you. Oh, I'll go out in the back and <laughs> talk to him. <laughs> what, what harm could there be? I mean, I don't even know why that... I mean, I know why the subplot is there to show that Rose is trying to help him, and it sets up the fact that she, she hides knows, him. Yeah, she later. knows where he is, right? But... He doesn't pay attention to that note at all. He's just like, uh-oh, I better take this gun. I mean, he does take the gun, and it doesn't help him get away. It does help him get away, the fact that he has a gun with him. Right. He should have bolted the minute yeah, he saw get that. get out of there. I mean, I guess, I mean, I can kind of understand, because there's a line later where Fran, uh, Freddy says, like, this doesn't make sense. Why get him off the bridge and then just kill him? Um, which is actually a question that I had. I, I, it took me a while to notice the scene where Ray gets a call from somebody. I assume it's uh, the, the mob guy. Uh, it's Frank Vincent. Yeah, Frank Vincent. Or was it Frank Vincent or is yeah. it uh, Toy Terrell? No, it, it was Frank Vincent. On the, cause I couldn't it, tell the voice. Frank, Frank, I, I'll, never, I'll never forget Frank Vincent's voice. <laughs> okay, that's for enough. sure. No, but he's calling them basically, look, I've, I've got the mayor. I've got it lined up, you know, basically put it off. But I can't put it off forever without a body. Yeah, it's, they need to a find a body. Yeah, so that's Frank Vincent. Because, yeah, I had the same question. I definitely remember not understanding that. As a kid, I'm just like, why? Yeah, why save him and then just try to kill him? But it's like they're scrambling, and it's yeah, just like, they bought some time, but they need finale. Yeah, to, to, Ray was basically backed into a corner. Yeah, so I imagine that's what Superboy is thinking. Just like, well, why would they kill me? I'll just go out back to the pool. Just, I don't. <laughs> this note must not fine. mean what I think it means. Yeah, like, I don't know. He's a fool. Yeah. Okay. So I, a couple of the, I stole this note from Amazon trivia, but I thought it was interesting. The fact that and I didn't notice it at all. So it just goes to show you. Like when you're really engaged with a movie, you yeah. can, you just don't notice weird details. When at the end, when Mo comes out of the PD and sees Freddy and uh, Superboy and and, uh, and Figsy. Figsy, he's got his. I mean, he's got a mustache in both movies, but he's he's got his Jackie Brown mustache. It oh. was a reshoot. Yeah, that makes sense. Big bushy mustache. As opposed to his like neatly trimmed cop mustache, never noticed it. It was like I I literally watched the director's cut twice, and then I went, I better watch the theatrical cut just to remind myself what it, it was like. Yeah, and that's where I saw the Amazon Amaz- trivia. Yeah, I was I, like, whoa, like it's it's like a totally different mustache. Like, how did I never notice this? It's like because you're so engaged in the movie. It's, it's like, the same, and you know, it's De Niro too, right? You just assume that right. he's got all the details, but I did not notice it until you. It's a thing that's that. like now I'll never not see it. Yeah. But it's like, well, and it makes sense too, right? The Jackie <laughs> Browns right after this. Yeah. Well, are you aware of the uh, Justice League mustache removal stuff? No. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a spoiler, but that movie's been out so long now, so who cares? But Henry Cavill is in that movie as Superman, as we suspected, I think. As none yeah. some, but they had to do a bunch of reshoots for that movie, and he was in the middle of shooting Mission Impossible 6, and his character in Mission Impossible 6 has a mustache. And yet they needed to reshoot Superman stuff. But the Mission Impossible people wouldn't let him shave his mustache, <laughs> so they had to the CGI remove his I mustache. Mean, so is it like Cesar Romero in Batman from the 1960s? No, it's Just worse. put makeup over it? I've only seen, like, handy cam footage of people filming from the audience. It's, it's on Amazon now, but it's only to buy. I, I kind of want to see it just because I want to see 
That's all anyone could talk about was what's going on with Superman's upper lip. It looked crazy. <laughs> That's great. Because they just, from what I saw, it did not look good. So I, I was sitting here going like, oh, it's too bad they don't have Justice League mustache technology <laughs> in 1997. They could have CGI mustache the uh, Mo Tilden. Uh, they did have some CGI in this movie. Did you c- catch that? Yeah, and the commentary. The, the, yeah, the water tower. The water tower. I, I mean, looking at it when they pointed out, I noticed it, but I had no, never noticed it or even thought that that was CGI. No, it works pretty I well. It, yeah. I mean, it's probably smart to do it that way because there are a lot of shots two-thirds of the way through the movie where Freddy's looking. He's trying to find Superboy, and like in the background will be the, the, the water tower like way in the back. Yeah. When you watch it a second time, you know that he's in the water tower. You're just going like, he's right there. <laughs> you know, so it's actually kind of nice that they were able to just like plop it in using CGI. It's yeah. actually probably worked pretty well. I was wondering about the, the water tower is just like, that thing is clearly not in commission. Why don't they knock that thing down? <laughs> yeah, that there's a giant hole in it. Yeah. I mean, maybe they just like it for the sign, but it's just like, come yeah, on. Yeah, so you know you're in garrison. Come on, Ray. It's like, get your well, mob wait. buddies to knock that thing down. Send well, some- hold on here, because this is one of my things. There's not a lot of taxpayers in this town. There's 1,280 people in this town. That is not very many. That's true. So, How much did it cost to demolish a water tower? I don't know, but with 1,280 taxpayers, you don't... Well, that said... There's a lot of quarters in that parking meter for only 1,280 people. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I have that in here. The owner of the bar says, I got to go put some more quarters in the in the meter. It's like, you own this bar. At least she's the bartender at the very least. Like, she can't have a parking space. <laughs> she's got to pay for her parking. I totally did not notice that. She, The bartender says that? She says, I got to put a couple quarters well, no in. no wonder why there's so many quarters That's in why. My, my biggest, I'm like, how are there so many quarters in this parking yeah, meter? Because all her tips go to paying for her parking. <laughs> It really is a mob run town. (laughs) It really is. Well, it made me laugh, and I I didn't notice it the first time, but the second time I noticed it. When he's waking up the next morning, there's a roll of quarters on his bed (laughs) where he fell asleep. I missed that. That's (laughs) awesome. He must have been holding it through the crash, all the way through everything. That is outstanding. (laughs) I missed that. Because, yeah, that's a scene that's cut in the theatrical cut of him waking up, and you really see his gut and all that. That's not in the theatrical cut Maybe it's not in the theatrical because of how much coverage there was of how fat Stallone I mean, yeah, was. Could be. And they're like, you know what? We're getting too much early press of his weight. We're going to cut that out. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if it had an effect. Uh, so one of the things I definitely wanted to cover uh, was that final sequence and scene. I can tell you from experience, and it was actually not too long before this movie came out that I went to the gun range with my brother and did not have headphones on like we have here. Oh, noise. Yeah. Well, these aren't noise compression, but headphones. Right. Went with just uh, earplugs. One of the earplugs came a little bit loose, and I didn't know it. And I can tell you, that ear, I could not... And that wasn't having you know a shot right next to my ear. Right. It was ringing for like two weeks after that. Oh, sure. So I think some of the reason why when I saw this in theater is that it resonated so much is that I'm like, I know exactly what that is like. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm surprised the movie didn't commit to having him just having gone deaf. You know, I think a lot of this movie, what it's about is like doing the right thing has a cost and it's like, it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. It's like, right. it's easy to do the wrong thing. It's, it's, he would have had a much better life probably if he had Well, if he had never jumped in to save Liz, right? There's many things that would have been better in his life if he hadn't done the right thing. Right, he probably could have been an NYPD, et cetera. Right. Yeah, so it's like, I think it would have really dro- driven home the fact that, you know, yeah, there's a cost to doing what he did, but... I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's it's just a radio thing at the end. Like, oh, thank goodness he's regained his hearing in his ear. Yeah. Like, whatever. It's just tacked on at the end. But still, I think it would have been interesting if it's like he had actually gone deaf from that. But it's like, it still is like, well, now this is the best thing i ever done in my life. Despite Dri- diving the, in the river was a second. Now. Despite like, the cost. Um, 
I had, I, I had a follow-up point, and now I've forgotten it, so whatever. I don't remember what I was going to say. All right. <laughs> well, I can say this. I also had another oh, one. I oh, do, I'm sorry. I, I remember what I was going to say. Fire away. There's a tacked-on scene at the end of the theatrical cut, and it's just a scene of Freddy. There's like all the radio stuff, oh, so-and-so indicted, it. The coverage, yeah. Yeah, and then cut to Freddy sitting underneath the GWB and just looking up at it, and the deputy rolls up. He's like, oh, Freddy, come on. There's something going on, and he drives off, and that's it. It's just to show that like he's back to being the sheriff. Oh, really? Yeah. See, that's a, that takes away in a couple ways because maybe I think one of my favorite moments is actually the beginning when Freddie has wiped out the car and he's sitting there and basically looking at the George Washington Bridge and you have the dichotomy of Superboy on the bridge there right. and Freddie there. That, that completely takes away from that. I agree. Well, and that's a nice moment. It really shows oh, like the parallels are just like they're in the exact same situation. Same just, situation, different sides of the river, but two yeah. sides of the same coin. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little too hard on Freddie in terms of like I want him to you know pay a price to suffer for I mean it's it's the Catholic in me it's just like no no <laughs> no good deed must go unpunished of course but it's like you know I feel like I feel like he would have a criminal have criminal repercussions like, obviously it's like Figsy cop to plea they, you know there's the voiceover saying Figsy cop to plea but it's yeah. like to one degree or another it seems like Freddie was involved in some kind of uh, obstruction of justice by not pursuing you know, crimes that he knew were going on, et cetera. It's like, I don't know if he would go to jail, but it's like just showing him back at the job. It's like back to everything's life. Fine. Everything's back to the way it was. It's like, ah, that doesn't well, and seem I, right to me. I think the director's cut solves that because it's ambiguous and you can jump to a conclusion that there were some repercussions. You right. just don't know what. Well, and you learn from all the radio stuff that he kind of became a little bit of a, a hero in, in New York. And it's like, I'm sure he was fine. Like, I'm sure yeah. people rallied to him or whatever. He was probably a newspaper hero, like the, the man who took down this huge criminal organization, et cetera. So, yeah, I'm sure he wouldn't have gone to jail. But, yeah, I agree. I like the, the ambiguity. I don't know why they would have tacked on that. It's a, a nothing scene. Like, nothing even happens. It's just like back to normal. Yeah, as you would say. Yes. Uh, so I had that when you've got Gloria Trillo and Carmela Soprano in the same movie. Bad things are going to happen. And then when I really thought about because even though it's just in a picture, and granted, this is a couple years before The Sopranos kicks off. Right. There's a lot of The Sopranos in this. In this well, there movie. is. We're going to get to that in a bit. All right. Well, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll save it. But when, when I thought about it, I'm like, wait a minute. Where do I know Annabella? Oh, that's Gloria Trillo. <laughs> See, I don't think I watched because I, I, she's in season three. Three. And yeah, we've had this discussion not recording that right. where you've been in The Sopranos. I don't think I've seen like halfway through season two through like the end of season four. I don't think I've seen any of that stuff. And it seems like that's when a lot of these actors were in The Sopranos. Yes. But we'll get to it. Yeah. I've got, some, I've got some plans for later. All right. I only have one other thing for little details for me. You've got, uh, got some more? I got a couple. Um, okay. I stopped and I looked at the photographs that they looked through of uh, Freddie's 10-year reunion. <laughs> I noticed a couple of things. There's a, like a group picture of him holding up the banner, and it's supposed to be like everyone. It seems like the idea was let's get a picture with everybody. Yeah. Ray is not in that picture. But then oh. there's a separate picture of just Freddie and Ray holding up the little banner. So, I, so, I so you think like Ray felt bad or something? No, I think he probably got there late or <laughs> just was only popped in for a minute. Like, oh, I wasn't, I wasn't here for the picture. Let me take a picture. And then he just bolted. You know? I completely believe that Ray's, you know, just doing, feeling sorry. Oh, man, I really should have showed up for this thing. Yeah. I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll pop in for a few minutes. Yeah, he just wants to maintain his relationship with the sheriff, you yeah. know. There are a couple uh, other absentees that I noticed. So Joey and Superboy, neither of them are around. Okay. But I don't know if it's supposed to be, like, Joey definitely works nights, so maybe he was on the job. Not clear when Superboy, you know. Like, well, Joey makes sense, too, because there clearly is 
that's true. There's that, no love lost and not positive history between those two. Well, so. they're relatively okay when they see each other in the bar. They are. Like, oh, what happened to your nose? I heard you saved the turtle or whatever. It's like they seem like they're on relatively good terms. Good enough, but the point. If he could skip it, he would skip that part. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, I don't think Joey has any respect for Freddy. No. But uh, I did notice that, uh, I forget the character's name in the movie, but Womack, the guy who oh, plays Womack. Yes, John Spencer John is the Spencer. actor. I can't remember the character's name in this because he's not in it a ton. Begins with a C. Yes. But his, actually, his scene, particularly on the bridge, he's given a great performance. Yeah, and that's one of those things. That's a pretty small part. Like, he only pops in and out a couple of times. And, and you know what? I, I, I want to make sure I cover it. Maybe the best performance, I mean, look, Stallone is probably the best performance. Robert Patrick might be my favorite performance in the movie. Yeah, he's really good. He really should have been a bigger star than he was. Yeah. I mean, I think this movie opened some more doors for him and got him some more stuff because, you know, it was T2 striptease. <laughs> I forgot about striptease. Yeah, and I think he was actually <laughs> doing the press tour for striptease when he was reading the script for this. Yeah. Uh, but Rob, uh, Robert Patrick is given a great performance, and he's pro- he's one of my favorites in this. Yeah, and uh, like not really doing much. Like he's not trying to be really menacing. He just is. Like, no, yeah, it's a he, very quiet menace. I mean, that's what he's good at. He's and, the same with T one thousand. It's like quiet menace. But Get that guy. But he's a jerk too, because just the way he's, you know he says to Jeannie Garofalo, "Hey, cupcake, why don't you go you know find some bad guy?" Yeah, yeah. this is Jimmy <laughs> Connors, and just the, every everything about him, I I like that he's a little smarmy. Yeah. Well, I learned that the word cupcake apparently is, I don't remember if this was in the commentary or... It was, it was a commentary, I know. It, that it's that it's what like city cops use for... For like, the locals, yeah, for to kind of basically make fun of them. Yeah, for sheriffs yeah. Like, or county guys or whatever. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that. That's, that was news to me. I, yeah, was, I just would have figured it was just a derogatory term. That's just, what I thought it was, too, is that he was being sexist, not yeah, necessarily he, that she was a cop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I think even Motilden calls Freddy a cupcake. Yeah, I think you're if that right. cupcake makes a mess, we got a case again. <laughs> you're, you're right, he does. Yeah, so it's like, that's that's our real thing. After his go-to-lunch scene, <laughs> yeah. which I always love people yelling when you want somebody to clear out that they need to go to lunch. I always think of uh, Glengarry Glen Ross, yeah, actually. This came after Glengarry Glen Ross, and I yeah. wonder if that oh, was... I'm sure it was stolen. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's very similar. Yeah. Sorry. Just repeating go-to-lunch, go-to-lunch, go-to-lunch. Go-to-lunch. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, so yeah, it occurred to me as I was watching what a terrible actor Ray Donlin is. Harvey Keitel is a great actor. Ray Donlin's a bad actor because I, I just, like, he's going, he jumped. Oh my God. He jumped. <laughs> like, he jumped. Because I, I remember thinking it was odd. Like 20 years, I have this memory of thinking, like, what a weird performance. Like, I didn't realize that he was faking it. I thought he actually jumped, like, the first time I watched it. I got like, you. Why is he acting like that? And now as I'm watching him, it's like, oh, that, Ray really is not a good actor. I mean, they buy it, but. Yeah. Um, so what you're saying is we've got examples with um, Dennis Farina. So what you're telling me is Officer Ray Donna, he was not going to have, like, a post Oh no! Top career as an actor is yeah, what you're if, saying. If he had survived, he definitely would not be uh, one of. He would not be the next Dennis, uh, <laughs> Dennis Farina or okay. or Dennis Franz. Any of these those ex cop. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I guess that, that, that's not for some reason. All those guys are Chicago cops, though. Or I guess the, 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 there is one ex New York cop in this movie, right? Yeah, Arthur. Um, it, it's, okay. he plays Frank. I can't remember the last name. Yeah, the yeah, Italian. Yeah. The Italian. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He he's NYPD. So I guess that's true. Yeah. I take it back. All right, my last uh, little detail, All if right. you don't have any more. Nope. All I wanted is I wanted 
more time with Figsy and Freddy living together because I just I just enjoyed the kind of sitcom <laughs> sitcom esque situation that they're in. It is very much, but I'm not sure I could take much more Figsy philosophy. That's what would do, I'm, I. I'm not sure I could take that show for a long term. That's true. I mean, you have to tone him down, but it's just I just imagine it's like the Odd Couple, you know? Yes. He's a sheriff. He's a cokehead. <laughs> da, 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 da. Can you imagine how much? filth there would be in that place oh i'm sure just figs these cigarette butts everywhere just ro- as you said rolls of quarters everywhere from pinball yeah. freddy the place is a mess even before figs right. moved in for sure can you imagine how bad it would be and he's got to have the deputy come over and make him breakfast like that's <laughs> that's how little this guy can take care of himself yes. so yeah all right so okay. those were the little details those are the little details you want to move on to questions uh yes i do i want to ask you a bunch of questions I want to have them answered immediately. I'm going to lead off with something that I start with in the little details. Here's what I want to know from you. When do you think the last time that parking meter was emptied by, <laughs> by somebody? And then, is Freddie, is he the only one with the key? Is that the reason why it hasn't been, you know, emptied in a while? I mean, I imagine they're pretty spread thin, you know. Uh, so who knows? I mean, if... if I mean, there were right. a lot of quarters in there, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Oh, you're right. But it's, if we if the bartender's... And or, and or the owner actually had to keep paying the meter. Feed the, maybe that, maybe it's like that's the mob. Maybe it's like a mob shakedown. Maybe you gotta, everybody has to pay for parking and they're paying tribute because nobody is allowed to have private parking spaces in Garrison. Well, it's like actually I didn't even think about that, but that bar is just in a little shopping mall. It's like right next to a, like a hardware yeah. store or something, right? It's not like like there, well, there are spaces. There's a parking lot, isn't there? Yeah, well, Mo Tilden, he's worried he's getting a ticket because there's no parking. That's what I wondered. Is there no parking anywhere in this town except for where they have metered spaces and they make everybody pay for parking all the time? I mean, yeah, that seems about right. How does that even work in a small town? Like, who's in charge of uh, parking meters? That's is, my point. Is this? I I had. I think this is the only legitimate police work that Freddie does is empty the parking meter. <laughs> right, but he's not. He's not paying the city till. <laughs> he's he's using it to play pinball. Lethal weapon pinball. <laughs> was it? It was. Oh, you didn't? No, I didn't oh, notice that. that. That was one thing that I skipped because I just figured it. Didn't, it was, and I was going to ask you: Do you think Freddie is more Riggs or Murtaugh? Oh, neither. He's more of the captain. If anything. <laughs> Okay. He wants to sit behind a desk. It is, le- it is lethal weapon pinball. He doesn't want to get involved in any exploding toilets. He, <laughs> he, wants, he just wants to live his life. <laughs> Fair enough. He avoids any kind of activity at all. All right. I wanted to cover this parking meter thing because I really couldn't work it out. Well, to that, in that vein, this is not a question I had, but just I noticed Figsy says there's two kinds of people in the world, pinball people and video game people. That's my next, and I was going oh, to ask go you, it. Keen, are you and I, are we pinball people or are we video well, game people? I am definitely video game people. I don't know. You don't know enough about me? Well, I'm probably more video game people. I was going to say, you're video game people. I don't, yeah. Even though you don't play many video games anymore. It's just like, if, if given the choice. Yeah, and so I took that as, is, right, isn't that some that's younger generation versus older generation? Isn't that kind of, at that point, video games and pinball, there would have been this draw? Or do you think still today there are younger pinball people? Well, at the time, I think there were. Probably not so much now. But no, I think in the 90s, if you went to our arcade, it was pretty even split between okay. pinball. I, I played a decent amount of pinball in the 90s. Okay. I only brought it up because in uh, Rhinestone, uh, <laughs> sorry to bring up Rhinestone. It should, should but never in, be mentioned again. But in Rhinestone, Dolly Parton says, there's two kinds of people and you ain't one of them. <laughs> so I guess that is, that's actually one of my favorite lines of hers. It's a good line. It's a pretty good insult for yes, sure. Yes, it is. She's telling the, owner of the yeah. owner of the Rhinestone, whatever his name was. So I, apparently that's what she was saying is... 
He is neither a pinball person or a video game so, person. All right, that's fair enough. So she, she and Figsy are on the same wavelength. Yeah, I can only assume that's what she meant. All I think right. it, it's just the fact that we got these two back to back. All right, that's fair. So I've already burned two of mine. So let's let's hear one of yours. Okay, I, I need some help with the whole jurisdiction stuff. All right. Even like I said, I think as an adult, I pretty much I feel like I understand it. But like, I think that the part, the only part of the plot that I feel like I have trouble with is Motil. Then is internal affairs, yep. but he's in the precinct in Manhattan, and so he can't touch these guys who live outside of Manhattan in New Jersey. If that's the case, why is Ray scrambling so much? It's like, if he's out of IA's jurisdiction, why is he so worried about covering up... Why is he so worried about IA getting to Superboy? And basically, because I think he's what he's worried about is they're going to say, hey, Superboy, you're going to go to jail for shooting these two guys. You better tell us everything you know. So, so what I, I take it as is that whatever they're doing on the other side of the river, De Niro's Mo has no jurisdiction over. But what Superboy probably knows about is the things that they look the other way within, their jurisdic- within their, his jurisdiction in New York that the mob is getting away with. Okay. Superboy maybe isn't the most ideal. I think Figsy or Jack probably are because they probably have way more knowledge than what Superboy does. Sure. But that's what I took it as, and maybe that's a little bit of a leap. I just have – I had a hard time believing that, oh, because they live over there, I'm not going to be able – I have no jurisdiction over these guys. Right. Well, I, I feel like – because this is my follow-up question is I feel like – I feel like this is kind of an interstate conspiracy, isn't it? It's like a criminal conspiracy that crosses state lines. Isn't this a federal jurisdiction at I that point? I can see that, yeah. That I, it certainly isn't the sheriff of Garrison's <laughs> no, jurisdiction. Right. Yeah, I, that I, I think we can agree on. <laughs> I agree. I mean, as we said, they wanted it to be a Western, so they yeah. wanted the sheriff to be the one who has to, yes. to save it. They didn't want the, the FBI to step in and be like, actually, we know all of this. Yeah, you know, like, we've we been can, monitoring this yeah. for decades. That's the thing, I, and one of the things I was thinking about you know, again, watching it as an adult and kind of understanding kind of the way law enforcement actually works. I think the way this movie depicts it is actually more accurate than most cop movies in the sense that, you know, as I say, it's not about what you know, it's about what you can prove. Everyone pretty much knows everything. Mo Tilden knows, he knows right. the whole story. It's just, he just can't prove it. Right. And I like the, the fact that that's all it's about. It's just like, he just needs someone to flip. Anybody. You know, he'll take Superboy. He'll take anybody. Right. That's all. It's the only thing. They just need to link the two sides together. No, and, and that's probably something that was lost on me, too. I like to think that I was a wise 18-year-old, but the what I can prove is far more important than the truth. Because yeah. I'm sure, and I still have a little bit of it, but not nearly as much of the idealist, right? That right and wrong, black and white. It doesn't matter. It really comes down to what you can prove. You got to make a case. It's yeah. like that's the way it actually works. And that's that's what I think the theatrical cut kind of falls into in that it seems much more like a traditional cop movie of just like, "Oh, he's learned the truth, therefore he's going to put the guy in jail." It's like that's not learning the truth isn't it's, it's, it's almost irrelevant. <laughs> right, exactly. Yes. I, I mean, you have to wake up to know what evidence you're looking for to make a case and prove something, but yeah. it, it could be a turd in a bag. <laughs> But I like the fact that Motilden he knows everything. They know they know the whole yeah. score, but they just they need to get someone to testify, and that's all. That's that's what the whole movie is about. Is Motilden's trying to get someone to testify, and Ray's trying to stop that from happening, and everything that happens is you know basically a war between the two of them. I I, I loved the story in the uh, in the commentary. 
Because I think it's the only scene that De Niro and Keitel have together. Oh, and I, that's in that coffee shop, the, whatever it is. The fighting over who, who, <laughs> who walks gets to in enter first. Well, it's like they both wanted to enter, and then like James Mangold's like, guys, if you can't both enter, otherwise I'm starting with an empty room. <laughs> that is a great line. I'm starting with an empty room. I, I really liked that uh, anecdote that he has in the commentary. Uh, that that was a good one, and I also think that the end decision was the right decision. Yeah, that, of course. He's the, he's the interloper coming right. in. Right. That's their home turf. They should be there. Why would De Niro's character not be the one entering? It doesn't make any sense the other way around. Yeah. I mean, so. just thematically, he's he's the intruder. He's, yes. He's the one coming in. And it's supposed to be unsettling that, you know, this intruder is now walking around on my, my turf. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a great scene, just the way that it's, like, very friendly yeah. and cordial. But it's like coffee. <laughs> yeah. Well, Introduces like, shaking hands with Jack. Yeah. Hey! That's really well done. Like, that, you need good actors to pull that scene off because you need to see both layers happening simultaneously. Yeah. The outward cordiality and then the beneath, both of them are just, it's, it's such a combative scene. And yet everything's just like, oh, nice to meet you. Like, exactly. outwardly, it's all so friendly. But you see every single Simmering jab, everything's yeah. going on underneath. Yeah. So good. Uh, all right. So we covered my what kind of people. Here's a, you got to help me on this. Okay. Where did Superboy go when he didn't jump off the bridge? I assume he threw him in a trunk or something. I, yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's not clear. I, I had a real hard time with that. I mean, it must, he must have, Ray must have thrown him in his car somehow. Because I'm not wrong, right? It would be very difficult to disappear off the middle of the George Washington Bridge. You would think so. Okay, thank you. Um, it made me think, uh, what was the story, though? Some story of a guy living in one of the Chicago drawbridges for like six months? Yes, I did. I remember reading that. Yeah. It made me wonder if maybe that was it. As they, they <laughs> Superboy found a little... Yeah. Well, hollowed out area. And, and that's not a drawbridge, so it'd be easier. That guy who lived in the Chicago drawbridge had to like deal with the bridge going up and down, <laughs> you know? And in his like the place that he just he was, was squatting in. So like, right. I wouldn't be surprised if there was some kind of like Ray knew about some kind of tunnel or something. But All right. I, I I just assumed he he threw him in the backseat because you see them driving away shortly after that. I assume it's the next morning when they when Freddie pulls them over. Yeah, I think so. So it's like maybe he just threw him in the back of the car and no one thought to look. Again, Maybe. none of this is thought very thought through. That so. seems like a pretty big leap, but I'll take it. I'll yeah. take it. All right. All right. So uh, I've got a couple questions about the kind of the affair subplot and all that going on. All right. I think to a certain degree, I think that stuff ends up being a little bit of a distraction. Uh, I mean, I, I guess in the end, Rose does help Freddie save Superboy and maybe that affair subplot has some kind I guess, of influence but, on that. Yeah, but I don't think it would have been that much because it's her nephew. I think that would have been the primary motivation anyway. So yeah. I, I that you could lose that subplot. I don't think it changes much. Yeah, I agree. Um, but my question is just simply this. Does Ray know that his wife is having an affair with Joey? Because I don't think it's ever really clear. It's not 100%, but I think he suspects something because... The look that he gives him at the funeral for Superboy. Right. Certainly, there's some suspicion. And then when, just before Randone is killed, he says, when they have that confrontation, or is this about something else? Joey says that. Though. He says that to him. That's what, that's what I'm saying, is that I think maybe it's his guilty conscience. Well, but I think he's fishing, because Joey asks Freddy, does Ray know? So Joey doesn't know if Ray knows. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Unless he learned something in the interim, but it's like I th- I, that seems like fishing to me. I know this is about something else that's personal. Like I think it's fair to say it's not a hundred percent, but I I get the vibe that there's some suspicion by Ray. Yeah, I, that's my. I also think that yeah. I was about to say that's also my suspicion, but <laughs> my suspicion is that he has suspicions. Yes, <laughs> but yeah, I think that I he probably doesn't know, but yeah, he has a sense. But then a follow up question: Similarly, 
do you think Freddie and Liz had sex in that scene where the, she comes over? That's a good question. Um, no, I don't think so. I agree. I don't think they did. But it's it's kind of played ambiguously, and it's never really it's ad- addressed pl- at it's all. It's played ambiguously. I'm not sure why. I, I just... From from all of the interactions, like afterward, I don't know. I don't think so. Well, I mean, they could have ended that scene very differently in a million ways. But it's like she comes over. She was supposed to have a talk with Joey, and he didn't come home. He he claimed he 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 had, he made her he arrest. arrest and, yeah, he was filling out paperwork. Or I whatever. think this is the the implication. Maybe is that he's lying and he's still having. He's going and sleeping with Rose or whatever. Still, I I don't know. But she comes over. There's that. I, I mean, that scene is so good. I mean, the choice of music is is great, but like both of their performances are amazing. The writing, like the whole thing of like all the best girls are taken. It's like yeah, yeah that, that whole scene is so great. I, I wish there was more of that kind of. I mean, it's not quite a romance because in the end it kind of disintegrates. Yeah it it seems like it's going to be such an important part, but really in the the end sequence that's chosen, it's irrelevant. Well, and I, I like the fact that. Their last scene together, other than she just, I mean, at the end, she shows up and she just sees him walking away, which is also not in the theatrical cut. She never shows up there. <laughs> wow. Whatever that means. But the, their last actual scene, she's upset that Freddie's digging in, into stuff going on. It's like, it shows that even she's the wives complicit. are complicit. Yeah. yeah, because they're benefiting from this stuff, too. So it's like, she doesn't want him digging into, even after Doing Joey's the right dead. Thing. Right. She doesn't want him digging into Joey's stuff. So, like... It seems like there's going to be this romantic subplot, and it kind of just dissolves. And I think that works. Again, it's kind of showing the cost. Like, here's something that he's losing, potentially, because of what he's choosing to do. Yeah, and I think that also adds an el- more of an element of realism to it. Of You know, you said that lo- losing his hearing entirely would have been a cost choice. But it's not a Hollywood where he saves the day and he gets what he wants. No, and right? it shouldn't be. Yeah, no. like, yeah for sure. But uh, going back to that scene, the way they end the scene... Is he kind of leans in? It's like he's not even really making a move. He's just kind of like, you know, I don't know, sad. He's kind of yeah. just like he's looking for support or something. Yeah. And then she kisses him and says, "This is crazy." And then cut to outside, and she's leaving. She says, "This is crazy," and then cut to. I mean, it, in any other movie, it would be, "Oh, they had sex." Like that's that's implying. Yeah. Her saying that seems to or imply so that she's scene willing to take it farther. Where to, she gets up and walk clearly walks away, and they don't. Right, or she says, "I should go," or whatever. Yeah. So some kind of indication that that's as far as it went. Yeah, but I'm not sure at, that why they made that choice. Yeah, it's just like at the same time, I don't think it's enough to really, like I said, in any other movie, her saying this is crazy. It's like okay. She's willing to go all the way, but it's like here, I'm not so sure that's what it means, and I'm not really sure why it's ambiguous or what it, what the benefit of that is, or I don't know. I'm not either, but based on the scenes that come after that, I just don't get the the vibe that that that's what happened. No, and it, it could just be like one of those things where it's like it's like uh, the end of Lost in Translation. It's like you don't want to know what she whispered. It's like it doesn't matter. It's it's between those two characters. We as the audience don't get to know. It's like maybe that's kind of what he's going for. Just like, you know, whatever happened in there, that's between the two of them. And we as the audience, it's almost like we shouldn't be snooping in on this. <laughs> but who knows? All right. Um, I got one song. 
Deputy Bill is buttoning his shirt when De Niro. <laughs> I didn't write that down, but I did wonder about that. Yeah. Can you tell me, is he living there? I mean, I mean, he has a wife at home, so I don't think he's living there. What What was he doing? I have no idea. Okay. Thank um, you that I'm not crazy. He's putting on his, like, his uniform. Uniform, right? but again, why is he getting dressed there? Like, when I go to work, I don't get dressed in the office. Oh, yeah. It's weird. Well, is he there? Because that's after the funeral, right? After... Uh, Superboy's funeral? Yes. And he's not at the funeral. It's just Stallone and Ginny Garofalo. I believe so, which is kind of strange, but I guess maybe one of them would have needed to have been. No, because they're on duty, and they're in garrison. so They're on duty, but there's only they only have three cops in this whole town. Yeah, and two so of them. maybe he's working the night. And but then why is he then putting on his uniform I, if, he should, if he should be on duty? I don't know. I want, yeah, that's a good question. Okay. I, I wondered the same thing, and I don't have an answer. I don't see. I was wondering, is he really even on duty, or did he... Yeah, I mean, I, I know the whole point of this segment is to play devil's advocate and trying to <laughs> find solutions to these problems. I don't have a solution. I have no okay. idea. But thank you. You noticed it and thought it was weird. Yeah, I did. I mean, was right. like, what was going on? I mean, it's it's like, was he just up to something? Because la- later he's <laughs> later he's in the bar. He's like, oh, I'm just drinking a ginger ale. Like, I don't know if we're supposed to believe that he has some kind of like problem or like a some kind of like alcoholism. I don't even, I don't even know that. I don't think so. But what I did get from that scene is that I think they were trying to make a move to bring Bill in because he's pretty complicit too. Oh yeah, he's just not. He hasn't been, I think, around as long as Freddie, and so I think they're trying to say we got a problem with Freddie, so we need to start buddying up to Bill because we're going to get rid of Freddie yeah. one way or another. Well, the way I interpreted that of him, he's basically hiding in the bar. He doesn't want to get involved. Because Freddie's trying to raise him, like, Bill, where are you? I need your help. Yeah. And Bill was just, he was trying to lay low and not get involved, and he knew Freddie was in, in bad business. Yeah. And he eventually weasels out of it anyway, so. Yes. All right, so I want to know, Officer Frank, he, he's going to be, he threatens Freddie, right? Because he's waiting and lurking in the car. Mm-hmm. He can get in a cop car from the outside. How does he open and get out from the back? You can't do that. Oh, yeah, that's true. So I had a I had a real problem with that. Is there a, like some kind of special key or anything? No, some kind of like they don't, cop they, thing. No, because I don't even think they have handles on the inside. That's the point. They make them so you can't get out. Yeah, I forgot that was a cop car. Thank you. That's not, that's a pretty big oversight actually. When you mention it, all like, right. Thank you. Unless like maybe Garrison's budget. That's how low the budget is. <laughs> regular car yeah it's just a regular car oh well maybe well because he crashed the car so maybe their backup squad car is just some sedan you know like they they didn't you know the car that he crashed in the tree isn't fixed yet maybe you could have me on that one all right so then trying to play devil's advocate that's that's my solution he it's the backup car he crashed the actual car into the tree all right and i got two now on the ending sequence and then um then i'll turn it back over to you well okay so okay, I want to know, how does Figsy know to come back and where to go? That's a good question, yeah. But, I didn't think about it. Hold yeah. on. At the same time, how long does it take Jack and Frank to drive that Stallone is able to walk, <laughs> walk, half, not half, fully deaf, ears ringing, yeah. with a malfunctioning shotgun, as we'll soon find out? He walks up there, and Superboy is still alive. I mean, it didn't seem like it was very far. It, yes, it was. The it movie was far. Do you think so? Yes, it, I think so. I almost feel like the movie was saying that that walk was kind of in real time. Like it only took him a couple of minutes to walk up to, I mean, to Ray's house, burning out of that parking lot to get up there. Yeah. I, I just I find that difficult to believe. Well, the whole scene that we find at Ray's house at the end is confusing because it's like Superboy's about to jump out the window. So apparently, <laughs> you know, his aunt Rose is able to help him out. And I was like, how did he get out of the... I mean, I guess when Freddy, when Freddy, Freddy shows, shows up... Because they hear gunshots. That's the only reason that yeah. that, may, and I, that I can believe. But you'd think they would put someone... Like, hey, watch Superboy. Don't yeah. let him get out of your sight. 
Um, cause there's four of them there. Yeah. And it, it made me wonder, this is not one of my questions, but again, just thinking about it. Cause Fr- Freddie marches up, he's got the shotgun, Frankie sees him first and he shouts something, but Freddie's deaf and can't hear. Yeah. And then he misses. Do you think Frankie was trying to shoot a warning shot? Cause it seems like they're trying to not kill Freddie. Like they like Freddie. And he misses. And do you think he's just like, I'm not, I'm shooting a warning shot and Freddie oh, can't hear. A, that is a good question. And Freddie just shoots him. Like from their point of view, it's like we tried to warn him away and he just shot us. If it wasn't for now, I, I could believe that, especially because in the right before that, they say, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to kill you. And right. Frank's the one who says it. Too. Exactly. Yes. So I think he's softer than Jack is on, on Freddie. Yeah, I agree. But because Freddie's walking up there with a shotgun. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, at that point, I think that they're. You think he just missed? Yeah. It's hard to believe that he did, but I think that that's, that's okay. what it is. Fair enough. All right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of my other complaints. Again, I, re- I think this is a really good movie, uh, bordering on a great movie. But, like, I think the whole ending at Ray's house, I'm not sure I think that's the right way to do it. Because it's like, Freddy's, he's taken Superboy to the car. Superboy gets taken away. And then, yeah, he just walks right up to the house, and it's like... I lost Superboy. Now I got him again. It's just like, I, you, you know, there, I feel like there should have been more of a gap of just like, oh, no, things are really bad. Like, they got Superboy. They're going to kill him. Freddy's deaf and, like, injured and doesn't know. Like, I feel like there should have been, like, two or three scenes between those two scenes. It would have been. But the problem is then, then it would have become really implausible that Superboy could have survived that long. That's true. Because I even think as long as he is, however long it takes Stallone to walk up that hill, I think is too long. But it's one of those things where they have to make it look like he drowned. Yes, but so, they have a pool in the backyard. Yeah. So. By the way, did they get the chlorine out of the pool? Because I feel like forensics would be like, hey, there's chlorine in this water that he drowned in. I had a question about that, but what I would have guessed was is that they would have then dumped him in the... Yeah, of course. They would have dumped him in the river. In the river, and that because they have some influence to be like, all right, you know, we, we don't need to run an autopsy on this. We know what happened. Yeah, maybe. But it, it certainly was a legitimate question. It's like, that's two different kinds of water that he's drowning in. But that's the, I think that's the reason why Superboy is still alive, because it's like... They can't just shoot him because they no. have to dump the body in the river yes. and it has to look like he drowned. That, that I believe, is I believe that he's alive for a period of time for them to drown him in the pool. But I still think however long it took Freddy to walk up that hill was too much time to yeah. just drown him in the I pool. I mean, they could have drowned him in the bathtub. There's, they've right. got four guys there. They can hold him down. And yeah. it's like Rose isn't going to do much. No. It's like she can't stop it herself. So, no. yeah, I agree. It's, it's, I think it's an awkward way to end the movie. I don't, I don't think it's bad because it plays into the Western thing of he's, you know, it's like high noon. He's, he's going to save yeah. the day himself. It's and like, he does. Yeah, so I, I think it's relatively fine. I think they could have done it the opposite way. I'm um, sorry if I'm, I don't know if you're done with your question. That's all my questions. But I, just, just thinking about it, I wonder if it would have been better to do it the opposite way, make it almost like assault on Precinct 13, where it's like he's in the police station, they're outside going like, Freddy, we, we're taking Superboy. They storm in and attack him. In some ways, I'm surprised that's not the choice they made. Yeah, I feel like that might have been better, a better way to go. And that way, it's like it's less about him... Kind of attacking Ray's house and more about him like defending yeah. this guy. Defending anyway. the guy as well as law and order, right? The police, his precinct, right, is the place where law and order is supposed to rule. It, pro- it probably would have been a better choice than his assault on Ray's house. Yeah, I mean, it works fine, but I just, it's a little awkward. Yeah. All right, so what's your last question? My last question. This is an elaborate question. Oh, man. All right. It's, okay. So I know how much... Do I much... need to take notes? Is it like... In... No, but just be prepared. I know how much, how much you like game shows, yeah, that's so true. I've prepared a little game for you. Oh, all right. This game is called Scorsese or Sopranos. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Here are the rules of the game. I've got 21... <laughs> I've got, the mic is dancing. 21? I've got 21 actors and actresses oh, who appear man. in this movie. 
Yeah, it's going to get pretty hard by the bottom okay. of this list. All but right. I, I need you to tell me, has this person appeared in a feature film directed by Martin Scorsese? Okay. Has this person appeared in an episode of The Sopranos? Oh, my God. Or both or neither? Those are your four options. <laughs> All right. All right. I'll and, try, and man. And the, the way this game show works, because it's not a game show unless you include some randomness to it. Okay. There's 21 actors. Yep. The number that you get right, you're going to start with a blackjack score, and you're going to play against me in blackjack. That, that's your initial... Those are okay. your first two cards in blackjack. So if you, <sighs> if you get okay. all 21 right, you got 21 anyway. Okay. Unless I deal myself a 21. There's no, I got a deck of cards right here. There's no way that I'm going to get even close to that, but I'll try. Okay. So, uh, again, this Scorsese, yep. Sopranos, both, both neither. or neither. And that's, right. Those are your options. All right. Oh, also, a couple of spots. You're going to get six opportunities if you can name every Scorsese movie that this person appears in or name <laughs> their Sopranos character. <laughs> You'll get a bonus point that I'll explain how that works later. All right. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Let's start. That's just intro music. Here's, here's the actual. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Number one, Sylvester Stallone. Uh, oh, Sopranos, no. Scorsese. I'm going to say neither. That's correct. Neither. All right. Next, Harvey Keitel. Uh, he's in a Scorsese movie, uh, so just Scorsese. That's correct. For a bonus point, can you name every Scorsese movie that he's been in? Uh, mean Streets and Taxi Driver. There are three more. Uh, Last Temptation of Christ, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, Who's Knocking at My Door. The reason why is I don't really know those movies. I've seen Last Temptation of Christ, but I've never right. seen those other two. Okay, next is Ray Liotta. Uh, he is in the Scorsese only. That is correct. You don't get a bonus point for that. That's too easy. <laughs> what, do I know which movie? He's only in one. Yes. So that's too easy. Okay, Robert De Niro. Uh, De Niro, uh, he did not do The Sopranos, so Scorsese only. That's correct. You're four for four. Can you name every movie that Robert De Niro has appeared in the Scorsese? Every right. Scorsese movie, there's a lot of them. I'm going to try, but hold on. Do you think the music's too loud? It's fine. Oh, I'll, right. I'll, I'll turn it down. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. So every... Wow. All right. Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, uh, Mean Streets, Casino. Hold on. Give me a minute. I got to keep going. Sorry. Through. What have you named so far? I was, I was turning on the So I had Raging Bull, Casino... Taxi Driver, Mean Streets. Okay. I'm trying to think of... Sc- <laughs> You're missing a big one. Uh, oh, Goodfellas. Yes. Jeez. That's five. Uh, I'm going to stop there because I'm not going to be able to name them all and... Okay, that's fine. These are just bonus points, so you're All still right. you're still perfect to score. You missed uh, Cape Fear, <sighs> you missed the King of Comedy, and you missed New York, New York. Yeah, I... King I, of Comedy's good. You yeah, King King, Comedy. uh, Cape Fear, I, I, I should have not missed. All okay, right. we're still four for four so far. Okay, right. Peter Berg. Peter Berg, all right. He played Joey, <sighs> for those at home. My only fear is that he's in a Sopranos episode, but I'm going to say neither. That's why this game is hard. It's, yes. it's going to get harder as we go. Yeah. Correct, neither. Woo. Five for okay. five. All right. Next, Janine Garofalo. Oh, man. <laughs> neither. Incorrect. She oh. appeared as herself on The Sopranos. Second season episode. I don't remember it. I've seen them all, but I don't remember it. It says Christopher starts hanging around movie people, including John Favreau. That was uh, part of the summary of the episode. Okay, yeah. next, Robert Patrick. Uh, Robert Patrick. Let's see. Scorsese in The Sopranos. Neither. Wow, wrong. I, even I knew that he was in Sopranos. He plays the store owner or whatever. Oh, remember man. that guy? Yeah, I forget. It's been a while. Okay, you're four for six. Oh, wait, no, five for seven. Yeah. Five for seven. Next, Michael Rappaport. Uh, neither. Correct. Ooh. Six for eight. 
The, the neithers are tough because you really got to scour. Yeah, I'm thinking through filmographies. <laughs> okay, next is Annabella Sciorra. All right, she's in The Sopranos. Did she do a Scorsese? I'm going to say Sopranos only. That is correct. All For right. a bonus point, you already named it, so you're going to get Trillo. Gloria Trillo. I'm, I, I had no idea who she was. So I thought okay. that'd be tougher. So you'll get, you'll get a bonus point, which will help you later. So you're, right. you're seven for nine? Yeah. Keep track of your score, because I'm losing track. All right. Okay. Next is Noah Emmerich, Deputy Bill. Yes, Deputy Bill... Uh, neither. Correct. Eight for All ten. Right. All right. Kathy Moriarty as Rose. All right. She's in a Scorsese movie. Did she do a Sopranos episode? I'm going to say Scorsese only. That's correct. All right. Raging, Raging Bull. Yeah, she's Vicky Lamont in Raging Bull, yeah. for sure. John Spencer, a.k.a. Womack. <laughs> How's your bowling arm? <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go neither. Correct. 10 for 12. We're doing right. pretty well here. I knew this would be up your alley, so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Frank Vincent. Oh, all right. Both. Correct. Uh, all right. So do I have to name everybody? For a bonus, you need to name his character on The Sopranos and the, all of the movies he was in, the Scorsese movies. Uh, all right. So. I, <laughs> these bonus ones are tough. They're, they're, that's his, why they're bonus. His character name may come to me. He was the boss from New York. Correct. So I'm going to think about it because it may come to me as I go through. All right. See if you can get the Scorsese ones first. And Frank, those yeah, right. Scorsese movies. So he's in Casino. He's in uh, Goodfellas. He's in Raging Bull. Uh, I'm going to. That's all I can remember. So that's what I'm going to go with. That's all of them. So oh. now, now can you remember? Now you got to get his name in the Sopranos for this bonus point. <sighs> Carmine. Is it Carmine? Nah, I'm not going to come up with it. Phil Leotardo. Phil. Oh. <laughs> oh, Mike's I, mad. I, I'm telling you right now. <laughs> if you would have given me... You should have seen Mike's reaction. Oh, Mike was mad. With, with like about... If I could have just had where we paused for about five minutes and that's all I focused on, <laughs> yeah, I we, might have I mean, come we got to keep it moving. It. All right. Okay. John Doman, a.k.a. Lasaro's aide, a.k.a. Rawls from The Wire. That guy. He had no oh. lines in this movie. You remember him? He's... he's Captain Rawls from The Wire. He's, I know he's, Captain he's Rawls in this from The Wire. I didn't realize he's in this movie. He never has a line. He's in a lot of photos. He's a, he's he's uh, Vincent. Uh, what's his name? Frank Vincent's aide. Oh, now I see. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I'm gonna guess he wasn't in any Scorsese movies, but because he's in The Wire, I'm afraid because a lot of times those networks they cast <laughs> the same people. I'm going to guess he was in The Sopranos. That's a fantastic guess. I would have given it to you if you had said neither because his character was not named. He played a district attorney. Oh. Unnamed district attorney. So, I would have given it to you either way. All right. All right. Excellent. So you've only missed two or yeah, th- two? Yeah, two, two okay. I think, so far. Next, Malik Yoba played Detective Carson. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm going to say he was in a, The Sopranos only. Incorrect. He was in neither. Oh. Also, he was in Cool Runnings. We brought that up last episode. So. For, for some reason, I think he's in a different HBO show, and that's what made, made me think of it. Yeah, he might have been in The Wire. I'm not sure, but yeah. you, you missed three. Okay, next is Arthur Nascarella, played Frankie. Uh, that guy had to have been in a Sopranos episode. Mm, would he have been in a Scorsese? I'm going to say Sopranos only. Both. Ah, right. he was in What Scorsese movie was he in? Bringing Out the Dead. So that's a tough one. Ah. Uh. Don't make me take my sunglasses <laughs> off. That's the only line I remember from I'm, that movie. I've never seen it. All right. Okay, you've missed four. Okay. Man, I'm, I'm falling apart here. Edie Falco. All right, The <laughs> Sopranos. The question is, did she do Scorsese? I'm going to say Sopranos only. That's correct. All right. Frank Pellegrino, who played the mayor in this movie. <sighs> Sopranos only. Both. He was in Goodfellas. He had a small part in Goodfellas. These are getting tough as they go yeah. down. I mean, you're, you're making educated guesses on yeah. a lot of these, so what can you do? Next is Method Man, a.k.a. Clifford Smith. Method Man was in The Wire. I don't know if he's in The Sopranos. He's I'm also gonna... in The Deuce. Very good in The Deuce. I'm going to guess neither. Correct. He was in neither. All right. 
Bruce Altman, who is the lawyer at the beginning, I who know. is also the guy in Glengarry and Lost, whose whose wife filled out a form. Yes, I do know Glen. He's actually in uh, Mr. Robot as well. I, I like Bruce Altman. Okay. Uh, I'm going to guess he was in Sopranos only. Correct. Do you remember him being in Sopranos? Yes, but I can't exactly remember what. He played a guy who owned a house that Tony appraiser? wanted. Was it an appraiser? No, he owned a house. I read this a recap. I've never seen this episode. It's from season four. All right. He I owned a house and Tony wanted to buy it. All right. I, I don't remember it, but uh, that was an excellent guess on my part. Okay. And last but not least, we're right, right at the end. Tony Sirico, who played the off-screen Toy Torillo in this movie. Oh, all right. Uh, so he's in both. Okay. The uh, So both Scorsese and The Sopranos. Pauly Walnuts, obviously, in um, The Sopranos. He's in Goodfellas. Any other Scorsese's? He's well, that's your answer. If it, all you'd need to know is whether... Oh, no, I said both, but I thought oh, you're you're for bonus both. points, I'm supposed to try oh, I, I didn't everything. hear you say both. You're correct. Yeah, he's no, in both. he's in both. Without yeah, a doubt, he's sure. in both. Okay. So he's Pauly Walnuts in The Sopranos. He's in Goodfellas. I think that's the only Scorsese, so that's what I'm going to go with, Goodfellas. Uh, that's correct. I didn't. I didn't have a bonus point option for that one. I only oh picked man, handful. I got that one. I'll, g- I'll give you one. Is that right. your? Is that three bonus points you got? Yeah, I think I got three bonus points. All right. So you had a total of sixteen. That's not a good hand in blackjack. <laughs> not a good hand in blackjack. <laughs> you actually are dealing cards. I'm going to give you. So, so here are what your bonus. You got three bonus points. Yes. If you don't like the cards, you can redeal three times. Okay. So, you, you've got a sixteen. <laughs> you're going up. Against a six. Uh, I imagine you don't want to redeal. Uh, no, I'm going to take my chances against You're the six. You're not going to hit? No. Okay, with your 16. I've got 12. Uh, I got 14. I got 15. Bust! I, <laughs> I win! Congratulations, you won. Oh. You won? <laughs> <laughs> so I've got a question for you. What's that? What? I- is did, that, I, did I? That was like a fifteen-second clip. Why did I? Why did I make that so long? <laughs> On uh, one of our bad puns episodes, you had pre-recorded something that uh, was a trap for me to walk into. I want to know: Did you have a number that you had in mind before this episode that I might get uh, for my sixteen? Oh, that's that's better than I thought. I mean, I, I knew that'd be up your alley, but yeah, I mean, so many of those are, were so hard. Like, Some of them were really tough. Yeah, so that's that's. I thought that was a very well. Like, so you that, thought that was I was going to be more in like the twelve, thirteen range out of twenty-one? Yeah, you, you actually, you might have been better off you could have you could have hit if you got you should, you should have played see if it was me i would have trying to game it it's like let me try and get 11 no the the compet- i really wanted to prove that no, that was, that i was, have some imdb tendencies uh no, in my I, head i thought you'd do well in that you did even better than i thought you would so yeah. that's i mean some of those are pretty obscure and you you hit 16 out of 21 which is a lot so well yeah. well done for all sure. right I, I appreciate that was a fun game okay good so now uh now you're up for a big moment the silk cozart it corner. is time for the silk cozart Internet Research Corner. <laughs> I need to get my sound back. Is it back. Memorial Corner, or is it just the Internet Research Corner? Well, we're memorializing his character from Eraser, I <laughs> yes. think, is what it is. Both of y'all! Yes! Okay, so since we were kind of playing a game there, I think this is appropriate. And also it's right. appropriate because Silk Cozart was apparently quite the basketball player. All right. There's a scene in this movie, in, in Copland, where they talk about making a bet. Uh, yes! 12 points. 12 points, and he, he lost. He was getting 12 points, and he lost against the five-time champion Chicago Bulls. Yes. Which really dates this movie, and it made me think, can I identify which game you bet on? <laughs> that is fantastic. I, Did you play it because Figsy is very confusing since he's playing up that Joey is a Mets fan. Right. So did Mets you assume fan. that he was betting on the Knicks? I assumed he was betting on a home team, either the Knicks or the Nets. Okay. 
it's conceivable the Nets were an ABA team in like the seventies when when Joey would have been a kid, but yeah. it's possible he was a Nets fan. It's yeah. like he's, well, he's batting out of home. Well, let me let me go over my assumptions. All right. Well, I, I'll just say I would think that it might actually be the Nets because the Mets are the second team in that. That's true. City. Yeah, so the, it would make sense that he, if he's a Mets fan, he's probably a Nets yeah, fan. Yeah, Mets, Mets, Nets, and Jets all go together. Yeah, I think, absolutely. Generally speaking. But here are the four pieces of information that we have on this. All right. So, number one, uh, Figsy says that the Chicago Bulls were five-time champs, which all definitely right. dates it. If you notice, it's an ADR line, because they made when they made this movie, they were four-time champs, and I'm sure what that's what he said when they filmed it. Yeah. And then they had to they had to bring in Ray Liotta and change the line to five time champs <laughs> because those bulls just kept winning. They kept winning, but so I, so I thought, okay, they're five time champs. That very much pins it down to the ninety seven ninety eight season yep. when they were going for their sixth. Um, even though this movie was made in ninety six, it's not really clear what year it's set in. It's kind of ambiguous. So I thought, okay, ninety seven ninety eight. That's definitely the year. But then I thought, well, what if Joey made the bet before the playoffs ended, and then but this scene takes place after, so maybe. <laughs> In the time between the bet and now, they became five-time champions. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I'm going to look at both the 96-97 and 97-98 seasons. All right. So that's the, the, that was my window. Number two, as, we, as you said, uh, I assumed he was betting on a home team because little boy Joey was betting. As it was, yeah, that with was, his heart, not his His inner head. child was making the bet, yep. as he says. Uh, Joey was getting 12 points, and he still lost, so I had to look for a game where the Bulls won by 13 points or more. <laughs> Oh, man. And then... Uh, How much time was spent on this? Uh, quite a bit. Okay. I'll try to keep it brief, but uh, quite a bit. And then finally, Mo Tilden, the thing that he thinks is a ticket, is actually a flyer for a fourth upcoming 4th of July celebration. <laughs> so this has got to yes. be near the end of the season. Yeah. So I was basically looking at each of those two seasons and going backwards looking for candidates. Okay. Right? So I started with the 96-97 season thinking, like, that's it was filmed in 96. Let me start with that one. But strangely enough... Even though the Bulls won 69 games that year, they had a lot of trouble with the Knicks and the Nets near the end of that season. Wow. Here are all the candidates going backwards. <laughs> April 19th, 1997, Bulls lose to the Knicks at home. Not a candidate. April 10th, 1997, Bulls at Knicks only win by two. Don't cover. March 29th, home versus the Nets, Bulls win 111-101. Doesn't cover. <laughs> I have to go all the way back to December 23rd, 1996. In the 96-97 season, to yeah. find a candidate that fits December 23rd, Happy Festivus. Yes. Um, the Bulls beat the Nets 113-81 at home. So I thought, there's, there's no way. This is not set during Christmas time. No, it's almost six months later. No, no way. way. So it definitely is not from that season. Or six months earlier, whatever. Yes, yeah, whatever. No. Yeah, it's six, six months too far. There's in not snow on the ground. Absolutely not Christmas definitely time. Definitely not Christmas time. So, okay. So 97-98 season it is. All right. I had three possible candidates <laughs> that fit all those criteria. Candidate one. March 8th, 1998, Bulls at Knicks. They win 102-89. Michael Jordan scores 42 points. Charlie Ward had 15 assists. <laughs> Charlie Ward? Oh, man. <laughs> I figured you'd appreciate a Charlie Ward reference. Mr. Heisman. That's right. Patrick Ewing was out for the entire season, or for like two-thirds of the season with a wrist injury. Candidate 2, March 16th, 1998, Nets at Bulls. Bulls win 88-72. Starters didn't play much. It seemed like they were winning. Like It was an even bigger blowout than that, it seems like. Chris Gatling led the Nets with 14 points. <laughs> And also, U of I alumni Kendall Gill, my alma mater, two for nine with six points, not really representing my alumni for sure. And then candidate three, and I think this has to be the one, in my opinion. Well, those first two aren't sounding like great candidates, so. Well, they, they fit the criteria. I, he would have lost the bet if he had bet but on But just based team. on, like, the, the uh, March dates, eh, I'm Yeah, not it's sure. pretty far back. Well, this is, the, this is the only one that could possibly fit, I think. April 29th, 1998. 
Game three of the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs, Bulls at Nets. Bulls beat the Nets 116-101 in New Jersey, ending the series three games to zero, and effectively ending John Calipari's professional basketball ah, coaching career. I forgot Calamari. He coached like 16 games the following season and was fired, so his career was essentially over. Uh, I would say without a doubt of that list, that's it. It's a home game. It's a playoff game. Mm-hmm. You think my my childhood team can't be eliminated. They're going to win at least one. I'm Or I've got so many points, I can't lose. And the Nets kept it close the first two games, even though they lost both. They kept it close in Chicago. They only lost by like five or six each game. Oh, yeah. Each game. So it's like he's getting 12. The, o- the only downside of that is that I it, you'd be tough to find a home NBA team that would be giving tw- on a playoff game would it's be given twelve. Eight seed against the one seed, and they were a sixty-nine win team. I, I think I would I would believe they were still giving twelve. Twelve is a lot, man. It's but a lot. It's the Chicago Bulls at their peak. It is. It is them going for their six. It's them going for their six. Actually, that, that I was looking at the roster, and their bench was they had like no bench that year. I was kind of shocked. I was like, wow. Scott Burrell had 23 points off their bench in this game. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, he was a that really is no bench. They had no bench. This, I mean, they had Steve Kerr, and that's about it. It's probably, yeah. I mean, it was their last run, and they just spent all their money on the starter. They were starting, uh, in this game at least, they were starting Rodman at center. Really? And uh, pulling Bill Wennington off the bench. I think Luke Longley was gone by then. Wow. So, yeah, that's, that's how the depleted co- their bench was. The cupboard was bare. Yeah, yeah for it, sure. It was clear that when Jordan was retired, there wasn't going to be much left. Yeah, but the Bulls, the entire starting five were in double-digit scoring, including Rodman, if you can believe it. He had 11 scoring? points. Scoring? Yeah, 11 points. I didn't even points. know he was allowed to score. <laughs> he had 11 points in this game, 17 rebounds, 11 <laughs> offensive rebounds. He also <laughs> fouled out. Joey would have been going nuts. Oh, this is BS. <laughs> they're, letting they're letting Rodman score. I don't stand a chance. Um, anyway, some quick stats. So Michael Jordan had 38 on 16 for 22 shooting. Had a pretty good game, I'd say. Yes. Scotty Pippen only had 13. Not had a good game. He had 10 assists, though. And Scott Perrell, 23, 23 off the bench. Scott Perrell. And then for New Jersey, Sherman Douglas led the way with 19 points. Rookie of the year runner-up, Keith Van Horn had 18. Oh, man, that's a bad roster. <laughs> bad roster. Yeah, when I saw New Jersey. Sherman Douglas? When I saw New Jersey, I was like, oh, it's the Jason Kidd team. No, this is the Kerry Kittles. Kerry you know, That team. Kerry Kittles had 16. Kerry Kittles was a lottery pick. Do you believe that? I know. I mean, this is a bad team. Chris Gatling had 18. Uh, and Kendall Gill had 17 on 8 for 13 shooting. Much better. Yeah. Finally, not embarrassing his school like he had been. So I agree with you. We've... That's, oh, that's that, definitely that's the game. game. Um, and just real quickly, I decided, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I decided if Joey really wanted to bet on an under- underdog on that day, yeah. he should have bet on the Houston Rockets, the other eight seed, who defeated the one seed Utah Jazz, 89 to 85. I'm sure they were getting points. Wow. So, yeah, he should have bet on the Houston Rockets. Charles Barkley came off the bench. That's how old he was. Wow. <laughs> Behind Kevin Willis. Still trying to hang on for that championship, yeah, that Charles. Was definitely, he was he was done at that point. He's still hanging on. The Jazz eventually went on to the finals. Obviously, so yes, it was a short lived victory. It was. Anyway, that's right. that's that's that. I, that that was a great corner. That was that <laughs> okay, was a good. lot of work. That was well worth it. There you go. Uh, so now we got to move on to the what this is really all about: the body count. Yep, body count. I still don't have a jingle for the body count, but that's fine. That's fair enough. Uh, you know, in a movie like this, it it's tough. You know what. It's a little serious. Yeah, it's serious. And the cartoon movies is where it's easier. But we've got a job to do. This is what the, the thesis of the podcast is. Yeah, I mean, these are it's fiction. I, I, I will admit that in recent days, you know, I mean, this is going to go up months from now, like up two months from now or something. But, like, you know, with all the stuff going on in the news, the school shootings, it's just yeah. like, ah, it's part of me feels a little uncomfortable doing body count. But it's like, you know what? These are movies. Like, yeah. we can still have fun with it. And it's like, 
you know, you just have to divorce yourself from the yeah. two things. But anyway, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a serious movie, so it's pretty, yeah, pretty low. The only and the good thing is is that it's easy to count because in those cartoon ones, it's very difficult. Yeah, this one was definitely not difficult. Uh, every time someone died, it was a big deal in the plot. Yeah, so eight total. Eight. I just the only question I had is, do pinball bodies count? Because in that Lethal Weapon game, <laughs> Freddy's firing away and gets that's true. Gun. That guy in that little screen, he, he really does, gets it. He did not make it. Um, but no, I think uh, eight is our total. Yep. Stallone had three. Uh, and then uh, Ray Liotta was next with two. Method Man got one. I gave him the Joey Randone. That's some complicit actions by Ray, contri- a contributing factor, but Method Man is definitely the... Right. Well, I mean, Ray is like uh, Walter White in season two. It's like he didn't do anything to cause it, but he also didn't stop it. Oh, and I used to remember what that was. Um the, what's her name choking on her? Yeah, Spoiler no, it alert. is, but there, there, there's, a, there's actually like a, a phrase for, for what it is. Like specifically a, a murder or a death or something? Or just, uh, a death. Okay. And it'll, it, it's the same thing with Phil. Negligent something. Oh, it's like a crime. Yes. I, I'll, come, I'll come up with it as soon as we yeah, stop you're, there is, Yeah, you're right. There is some kind of crime for that. Like, so, um, so from there, we got to get from the bodies to the wrecking crew. Wait, wait, before we move on, I got to give you some, some averages and stuff. Oh, yes. Correction from last week, I carried over the wrong number from Demolition Man. Because there was, remember, there were like the 80 ice cubes that we weren't sure what, whether to count? We yes. decided not to count them. But then when we did the rhinestone episode, I accidentally pulled over the wrong number counting those 80. So disregard last episode's numbers. They are totally wrong. So before, at the end of rhinestone, Stolen actually had 177 total on the body count. All right. Not 257, like I said. So add three to that, 180 across seven movies. It's 25.71 per movie. Down from twenty nine point five, so he's coming down to Arnold's level. Wow, fourteen point seven six. He's it's it's starting to become a horse race. It really is only even that close. Or he's he had such a that big lead is really because of the Expendables. Yeah. So if you just did Stallone only movies, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Like Stallone is in a lot of dramas and a lot of you know the body counts are are going to be feast or famine for sure. It's just a question of whether the feast is enough of a feast. But uh, yeah, the Expendables movies put him in a big lead, but. Uh, it's going to even out very soon. All right. I know what I'm picking next, though. Is that next? or, or no, we're gonna, Not yet, but you, it is going to be your pick, without a doubt. Okay, I'll save that. But it's time for the Wrecking Crew Award. Yes. Again, no this was This was easy for me. Uh, I'm giving it to Sloan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I well, think... Without a doubt, it's Freddy. You could argue that, like, Mo Tilden is really the one who kind of gets him to kind of wake up. I apologize for awaking you from your slumber. <laughs> you know, like, he, he, he is the one that kind of pushes him, you know, gives him a kick. But, yeah, I mean, I think... You know, this is our third episode that we've been covering Stallone, and we haven't given it to him yet. And I feel like he definitely deserves it here. Like, oh, it, yeah, without a doubt, Stallone as an actor is killing it in this movie. His character, like watching that character kind of come back to life and take a stand, it's like that's what the whole movie's about. It's like, how could you give it to anybody else? It was the easiest thing for me to do for this episode. <laughs> okay, I, I thought I was like, maybe I should. I, I, I ran through all the characters, and I'm like, no, obviously it should go to Stallone. Yeah. Okay, let's rate this thing. <laughs> Punching car accident victim. No, 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 you don't understand. He was bad mouthing my film. Uh, so this was pretty easy for me too, actually. Yeah, uh, mine, mine's a two-parter because I'm going to give the theatrical cut a separate rating. Oh, from I didn't. Well, yeah, I didn't watch both, so yeah. I didn't come up with. And that. it's like, there's no question that all of my kind of qualms—not all, because you know, obviously we touched on some things. This is a very, very good movie. It's not quite like a great movie. It's not like LA Confidential, you know, some of those other, other movies we listed. It's like, it's a level b- below that, but um, yeah, the director's cut is an Apollo Creed in my mind. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I think, I think Clubber, the, the theatrical cuts of Clubber Lang. 
See, yes. we, rate, we rate these using Apollo or using uh, Rocky opponents, by the way. Yes. We need to explain that every episode because yeah, we, we <laughs> always jump to these conclusions. Yeah, everybody listens to every one of these, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I need to remember. We need to like. Well, I mean, it. this segment is the Rocky rating. For me, I think going into it, I probably thought it was Apollo Creed, but for me, it was a Clubber Lang and that there were some things that I think didn't hold up as well as my memory. Wow. And so it's still, it's very, very good. I think the performances are, most of them are really good. And some of them are great. I think what distracted me this time around was Figsy and his philosophy. I didn't cover it too much in the episode, but he gets a lot of screen time. And some of that stuff I just don't think is very good. Yeah, we never really talked about it. Like, what is it? I, I, I get what he's talking about. It's like you don't, you don't want to take on these kind of problems head on. I, I get that. Diagonal. But he's, just, I, he's very cryptic. And I, I don't know. I mean, that's his character. Ah. He's, he's high on coke. He's you know he's coked out of his head. Can't I just have my rating? I didn't say that it was bad. It's just no, I'm not criticizing me. your rating. I just I I I don't mind his diagonal rule thing. I, I get what he's saying. All right, that's fair. I I just I'm just defending that. I'm not saying that you're wrong with your rating. Yeah. Well, these things are so arbitrary anyway. Like, yeah. you know, I I could I could say like oh you think this is worse than Demolition Man, but it's like that's not really how it works anyway. It's not the whole. That's not the point no. of these ratings. Not all. Apollo Creed movies are necessarily better than all Clubber Lang movies or no. any other combination of Rocky opponents. No, because I was rating that on how much fun it was, and this is a more yeah. serious movie. It's a, it's a different movie. It, it, you grade it on a different scale. So I, I, that, and then combined with what we had covered about covered a little bit in the opening, or maybe it wasn't the exact the, the plot summary, but it was that it pushes a little bit on institutional racism, but doesn't commit enough. And I, I wish they would have pushed that a little further. So for me, it's really good, but it didn't go the distance. Yeah. I mean, you can just tell based on what they cut out of the movie for the theatrical cut that they were backing off of a lot of things. And the director's cut restores some of it, but yeah, not all of it. I don't know if I agree. All right. So, so that's it. We've got it rated. We've got uh, all of the work done on this one. Yeah. Now the question is what to next? So this is what I was going to get to as far as the body count, because it's my pick. All right. And I think in the interest of variety, as this, that's how I've been picking, uh, we're going to go very different here. And it's going to be one that for sure uh, Sly is going to have a non-zero body count. <laughs> okay. It's been a long time since I've seen this movie, and you said you've never seen it. Uh, it's from the pre-Rocky period. Death Race 2000 will be our next film. <laughs> I haven't seen it in 20 years. I watched it in college. <laughs> when I watched it, I didn't even know Stallone was in it. I was just watching. I was like, whoa, that's Sylvester Stallone. I was like, whoa. <laughs> Death Race 2000. Death Race wow. 2000. I've never seen it, so uh, it's going to be a learning experience. 1975, Roger Corman produced but didn't direct. But it's right. uh, definitely, I've not seen a ton of Roger Corman movies. He's made like a thousand or something, some insane number. <laughs> it's not a thousand. Uh, no, I, I don't think that's much of an exaggeration. It's certainly in the multiple hundreds. All right. I'm not saying not saying directed himself. He directed oh. a lot of movies. But I'm saying he produces like sixty to seventy movies a year. It's oh, insane. Wow. He's Roger Corman. He just he's churning them out. He's just you know they, they all cost like twenty grand. <laughs> That's his thing. It's I mean now he they're a little more high budget, but still I mean by the standards of a Hollywood movie, yeah, he's still doing it. He's still putting out like forty fifty movies a year. You mean like a graveyard that's obviously fake? <laughs> well, well, it's. <laughs> His movies have a charm. I mean, I guess Ed Wood's movies do, but it's like, what I was getting at is I haven't seen a ton of his movies, but my sense is that Death Race 2000, I mean, it's a Roger Corman movie. It's going to be cheap. It's a cheap movie. <laughs> Just trying to prepare you and the audience. It's like this. It's, oh, it's, and it's made in 1975. What it's a great like, adjective. It's cheap. <laughs> it's cheap. <laughs> okay. It's a cheap movie, but it's fun. I remember enjoying it a lot. Maybe, maybe right. it won't hold up. We'll see. 
but All that's right. what we're going to watch next. All right. Well, and we'll be back with Death Race 2000. Mm-hmm.